Diane Feinstein is 89 years old. Wow. And she's she oh. needs to decide whether or not she's going to run for re-election for a six-year term to the U.S. Senate. Oh, my goodness. She's considering it? The fact that she's considering is it, it just makes you roll your eyes. Because wow. it's like, like, why? Why? That's exactly what why? I was thinking. Why? What's up, guys? I'm here to tell you this episode is brought to you by CrowdHealth. CrowdHealth is a new, fast-growing, tech-enabled, well-capitalized, community-powered alternative to traditional health insurance. Founded by Andy Schoonover, a proven founder and entrepreneur with a successful track record, including a $100 million-plus exit. By the way, Andy's been on this podcast in the past. CrowdHealth uses the power of crowdfunding, member ratings, unlimited choice, and huge cash pay discounts to provide a simple, considerably less expensive solution to managing your medical bills. CrowdHealth gives you full agency and sticks with you no matter where you move or what jobs you take on. You've heard of Big Pharma, but you may not know Big Insurance is actually the man behind the curtain. With 12 of the last 15 heads of the FDA taking jobs in Big Pharma and 64% of its funding coming from private industry, don't hold your breath waiting for the government to save the day. It's safe to say our system's broken. It's time to take your well-being into your own hands, and CrowdHealth helps you do just that. You'll pay into your individual account monthly, and if you ever want to leave, you'll simply pay a $250 closing fee, and they will return the entire balance in your account to you because it's your account. Because it's crowdfunded, we all have a vested interest in each other's health. They even cover up to $300 a year in routine wellness visits. So far, for every $100 members have paid into their accounts, an average of only $30 has been paid out. So you can expect to see your money grow in your account over time. Take that, big insurance. Join today by visiting joincrowdhealth.com and using the promo code KLP to pay only $99 a month for the first three months. That's joincrowdhealth.com, promo code KLP. Joincrowdhealth.com, get you some. All right, so, Lee, I wanted to have you on to discuss politics tonight. Like a guilty pleasure, I feel like it's a guilty pleasure because I don't know that much about it, but it's one of those things that's kind of fun to, like, talk about because it seems like everyone's talking about it now. Yeah, well, it's almost like a pastime. Thanks for having me. I, I appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, thanks for taking the time. And um, But I think it is a – would you agree that it is an area where – it has diminishing returns because it's good to be involved. And yet there's like limits to your ability to really like impact. And if you like spend hours and hours and hours and hours obsessing over everything, like, yeah, does that really make a difference? You know, like, would you agree that it, it, it could have some diminishing returns for people to like go down the rabbit holes, like way too often, like it becomes like entertainment almost yeah. politics, like becomes like entertainment can if you get like too sucked into it, I don't know. Would you agree with that or disagree with that? Um, you know, just pull that, pull that closer. There you go. Right up to you. As someone who spent 
the last, I don't know, five years or so working in politics, um, I feel a little burnt out. Mm-hmm. And I suspect that lots of people feel that way too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the kind of thing where like you show up, you give it your all, and you're so hyper-focused on that win that, that, that you do everything you can kind of to, to achieve that goal. Mm-hmm. Um, it causes a lot of people to burn out and then, and then leave. And so, you know, we stand up these political campaigns with all sorts of talented people. Um, they give it everything they got for a couple of years, and then they leave politics as a career. And so that's actually part of what um, we started Arena to combat, oh. was this, like, churn of people okay. through the political space. You get a lot of people who come in who kind of want to make their impact, but then they just get they get burnt out, they get tired, okay. they leave and they go do something. They just be, they, Maybe they become a consultant. Because yeah, that's a little bit because that's the easy, you know, okay. that's the easier thing to do. So um, I did not know that burnout was popular in politics. I could see, you know, if I stop for a second and think about it, I could see why, I think. I just hadn't heard that before. Yeah, I mean, I think it gets at to the question you were just asking, like people, you know, people are all in and yeah. that's what happens when you yes. go all in on something. Yes, and to be clear, when I think about diminishing returns. I'm not thinking about activists. I'm not thinking about people who are in politics. I'm thinking about people like myself mm. because um, I, do, I don't, I could, it's, it's interesting. There's something about the politics that's interesting. You know, like it's in the news and various people are talking about, lots of people are talking about, you can go on YouTube and find, you know, all these different perspectives and it gets like heated and escalated and, you know, it's like shock value. Um, but for me, I wouldn't be able to justify like really spending a ton of time on it. At least this is how I feel because at the end of the day, like, you know, it's going to inform my perspective on something and I might vote a certain way or not. And that's about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like just to obsess over it and spend way too much time on it for like the role that I'm in in life, I feel like I can't, I can't really justify it. Even though sometimes I want to, it's like, uh, okay, that's enough of time here, on, you know, on that. Um, because there is like an entertainment value to it for some reason. Yeah. Um, but anyhow, I wanted to have you on to get your perspective on things because, like I was saying before we press go here. Um, so I don't know if you know this, but I grew up in a very small town in upstate New York. And the way I grew up, we weren't, we weren't supposed to vote, actually. So we were not supposed to get like politically involved. And um, and then there was, you know, a decade and a half or so where I was just head down building companies. And I didn't feel like I had any time, didn't want to take any time. I was not politically interested at all. You know, it just didn't seem like relevant to it didn't seem mission critical. And when you're building companies, you need to like focus on what's mission critical. And then Trump got elected in 2016. And I'll bet you it was like halfway through that. I bet it wasn't until like 2018 where I started to like pay somewhat attention. Like, oh, this was kind of a a big deal. Like, he, you know, this was a different one, you know, like, but I, I just wasn't really in on, in on like even that election so much. And then, and then uh, 2019 and 2020, like the 2020 election just felt like it got so heated. And where I, the season I was in in life, I had, more time and attention. I started to get a little bit more like involved and follow along. And one of the things that it seems to me is it's gotten so divisive where it's not now I have this opinion and that person has that opinion and we can talk about these things, but it's actually like they're evil, you know, like both sides are like, 
this we can't have this like it's gotten so it's like it's gotten it's like an ultimatum on each side mm-hmm. um zero sum in some ways yeah exactly yeah. and so then i was hearing this and like i was saying i i tend to hear the voices from the right loudest in my life for for whatever reason the context in my upbringing whatever and one of the things that it was that i was hearing a lot of like was you know this 2020 election really really matters it matters so much everything's on the line everything's at stake and you know god forbid um the the Biden and um, um, Harris, Kamala, Kamala. yeah, yeah, yeah. I was trying to specifically thinking about how she like how that, how Kamala should be pronounced. And that, that is accurate. Correct. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think I heard at one point, if you don't pronounce it right, it's a little racist and I don't want to do that. So anyhow, Biden and Kamala got in and, um, and it was supposed to be like this terrible thing, you know, from the people on the right. And then we actually watched a little bit of the inauguration. It was like, oh, they're conducting themselves like adults. It seems to be okay after all. And and then um, and then um, as it turns out, you know, they're not perfect either. And so I just wanted to kind of get you on here to talk about some of these things from your perspective, because you are you you are political act. You have done political activism, um, and you're you would align with the Democratic Party, correct? Yes. And, okay. you know, so we we started ARENA to try and address a lot of the things that you're that you're talking about. You know, a lot of these political conversations that we have, they feel very zero-sum. Mm. They, view, they feel very, like, how are we going to come to some sort of resolution or consensus when the issues that we're talking about feel so, like, existential? And it seems like a lot of the conversations we were having were just yelling at each other and doesn't it, it's hard to see how there's a path to you know resolution or to agree with somebody so part of what we set out to do was to um, help new candidates break in you know help people who sort of feel called to by the moment but who don't have a background in politics who maybe don't have the money to run for office if they want to run or don't have like a rolodex of friends and family that they can call to bankroll their campaign um, part of what we wanted to set out to do was help new people break in to just introduce new voices, new people, fresh faces to the conversation to hopefully break some of the kind of like stalemate that, that, that we've reached in so many of these conversations. Um, and yeah, you know, it started very much. It was a reaction to, to 2016. Mm. Um, Arena was, it was. And can so, you go back even before that and touch on, have you always been politically interested? Like when, when did you start to get politically interested and then involved and was arena the beginning of that for you personally? Arena was the beginning of that for me. So I actually started my career working in education. Um, I, I've always to back up a little bit. I've always been someone who's mission driven. Okay. Like I, I like to do work where I can roll up my sleeves and do something that has real impact. I look for problems or you know, challenges that we face in our communities and around the world and where I think I can like make a meaningful difference in addressing that problem. And then I just go after it. Um, early in my career, that was education. Um, I joined a program called Teach for America mm. here in Nashville. I was a public school teacher, taught fifth grade social studies and then PE on the side. Um, did that for until 2016. Okay. And, when did you start that? Uh, 2011. 2011 to 2016, you were a school teacher here in Nashville. Yeah, and I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, and then in 2016, after the 2016 election, we held it. I was in our high school where we held a town hall 
with our students sort of as like a let's talk about the election kind of thing. And by the way, what high school were you? Uh, I was called Republic High School here in Nashville. Um, It was a a new high school that we opened uh, probably in, I don't know, 2014, 2015. Teach for America opened it? Uh, The uh, the nonprofit that I was working for opened it. Um, So I I worked for a nonprofit network of charter schools called Republic. And this was their first public high school called Republic High School. It's up in North Nashville off of uh, Brick Church Pike. Okay. Super interesting. I can go into tons more detail about the high school, but at this town hall, right after the election, um, we brought the students together to just talk about it. And um, that was the moment where I sort of felt called to Mm. politics because um, several students started asking, am I at risk of deportation? Are my family's going to be, is my family going to be deported? Um, Other students were asking, am I going to be forced to go through conversion therapy? Um, in front of in front of the whole school, people are asking these kinds of questions, and I just and, remember, and, and they and they really are wondering. Yes, like that these are honest questions. Correct, correct. I mean, the fear in the air was like was palpable and real, and I just remember my heart feeling broken, and it was in that moment that I decided I had to do something more politically oriented. So no, I wasn't always kind of wired that way, but it was that was the moment where I realized like I got to do something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was, so, you know, it was probably November 2016. Um, over the next couple of weeks, I uh, linked up with a few friends of mine and we decided to host an event called the Arena Summit where we just were going to bring people together um, and see what happens pretty much. Uh, there wasn't, mm. it was very, it was a very simple concept. Like, let's bring our friends together in a room. Let's talk about these problems that we're facing and let's like forge new connections and see what kind of solutions we can come up with together here in Nashville here in Nashville so this was like now December 2016 here in Nashville we hosted it at the convention center downtown Um, and little did we know at the event many people showed up saying I want to run for office can you help me Um, there was a woman there named Lena Hidalgo uh, from Houston well she's originally from Columbia she now lives in uh, Harris County Houston Texas saying she wanted to run for this obscure position called Harris County Judge, basically the mayor of Harris County. And Harris County is one of the most populous, I think it's third most populous county in the country because it has Houston in it. Oh, wow. Um, oh, wow. And she showed up saying she wanted to run for, uh, for county judge, basically the mayor, the county executive. And um, kind of an obscure, esoteric position, uh, but she was filled with energy and enthusiasm, but again, didn't have that background or experience in politics, didn't really have like a network of people she could turn to to kind of support and stand up her campaign. Mm. Um, there were others there too. There was another woman named Alessandra Biaggi, um, who's now a state senator in New York. Um, and there was another woman, uh, Lauren Underwood, uh, who's now a congresswoman uh, f- uh, from Naperville, Illinois. Anyway, many people showed up who said, I want to run for office. Can you help me? And so, so when you we, say it was you and a couple of friends, you're being a little bit understated here. This, I mean... This was in Nashville, but you had people from Houston coming we, here. We, we, we put out a call to people around the country, and we just said, wow. we're hosting this thing. If you want, it was obviously short notice. We said, if you want to come, come. We're bringing our friends together, and we're trying to, you know, figure out some solutions to like our Like a month political. or two notice? Like, what are we talking here? Well, yes. I mean, the election was November 2016, and the event was in December. Oh, wow. So, okay. So a few weeks. Um, and it kind of organically just became this, you know, that first event turned into several People, you know, people showed up at the first one, and then they, they said, oh, "Let's do another one. Let's do another one." And throughout that spring, we hosted several more arena summits, um, and that led to us supporting new candidates 
running for office. Um, and it was, a, it was a very organic transition, right? We, we were just reacting to the people that were showing up, hmm. asking for help. Um, and I think like they were very much showing up as a response to Trump, right? Like sure. they were, they decided, oh, Trump got elected. I've got to do something. Like I've got to get more involved. Like I've got to show that like th- that we can have a new, a new generation of leaders, um, you know, standing up and taking action and, and building careers uh, in our, in our political system. So uh, we wound up supporting, uh, you know, these new candidates running for office, supporting their races, just however we could. Uh, we were uh, helping them fundraise. We hosted events to just raise dollars for them. Um, we helped them hire and find staff to, to run and manage their campaigns. Um, we joined you know, weekly strategy calls where we were just helping set strategy on like what they should do, how to organize. You know, you got to imagine that if you're running for office for the first time, you don't know what to do. You don't know who to hire, what jobs to fill, what those job descriptions should be, what each person's responsibilities should be, how to fundraise. Like you got to start basically from scratch. And so we help people figure out a lot of those early, um, those early things. Um, so that was kind of through 2018. We supported over 60 candidates running for office um, to victory. And 2018. Yeah, so like after yeah, yeah. after okay. 2016, a bunch of candidates showed up at our arena summit events, and we decided to support their races. And so they were running in 2018. Yeah, um, and in 2018, 60 candidates got elected. Um, or you were supporting 60 candidates. We we ultimately supported more than 60 candidates to victory. I think through I want to say 2020. So the, I don't know what the number was just in 2018, okay. um, but it was 60 between 2018 and 2020. Um, but in 2018 we saw that all of our candidates faced a very common challenge and staff was their big, in addition to fundraising, which is always a big challenge, staff was probably their number two. Um, just finding, hiring and supporting professional campaign staff was really hard. Um, there's not a lot of campaign managers out there who know how to run a really effective race for Harris County judge or for state or for the state legislature or for Congress. Um, and often the best people, like we were talking about at the very beginning, they, the people who run the most effective campaigns often leave and go do something else, unfortunately. Yeah. So part, we realized that if we were really going to help address some of these challenges, we've got to find, train, and support more staff hmm. to support these campaigns. So it was in 2018 that we pivoted our focus a little bit to kind of focus on this staffing challenge. And so we started hosting these events called the Arena Academy, where we recruited people who had an interest in just working in politics but didn't know where to start. They didn't, they didn't want to run for office, but they wanted to work behind the scenes um, or maybe even just volunteer, but they didn't really have like the skills to do that. We created this three-day-long training event called Arena Academy where they show up and we taught them all the basics that they needed to know. To manage a campaign or you would teach them what they needed to know for whatever their job was going to be in the campaign? The latter. So we had seven different tracks that they could pick from. Campaign oh, manager, okay. finance director, digital director, organizing director. You know, the, the, the kind of, they self-select into the track that's like most interesting to them or they think they have the most experience yep. to... But it would all be related to the campaign. When, exactly. When the... The candidate gets elected or not, then it's like their their job, that specific job is over. Correct. Yeah, okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. so we um, we stood up this training program to, to train all these new campaign staffers, um, and then we helped them find jobs. So we, uh, we talked to candidates and campaigns around the country to figure out, like, 
where are people kind of most needed? And then we basically functioned like a career center at a uni- like a, at a university would, helping match people to different jobs around the country mm-hmm. um, on campaign. So um, it kind of started its arena started its its journey as a as a candidate training organization, and then over time has become a campaign staffer uh, training organization. Interesting. And are you full time with Arena at that point, or are you still working a, another job? Uh, it was like spring. I was the first employee of the organization, and that was like spring 2017. So it's sort of after that first event happened, and people were coming to us and saying, "Man, this sounds like a great idea, and we could really use something like this on a permanent, ongoing basis." And plus, I still had that town hall from our high school just sitting in my head, like. I was I was feeling very compelled and inspired to do something full time in the political space. I, I I made the jump at that point. Okay, so you were were you full time with Arena until your recent more recent? Uh, yes, job I was. Oh, yep. okay, yep. okay, gotcha. I, was. I didn't know. I actually didn't know that. I don't know when we met each other. It was at cross. It was at the gym for sure, and it's got to be a couple of years, right? Oh yeah, I mean, because I've been at uh, I've been going to Forte since twenty. 2014, I want to say. Oh, no kidding. So it's been a minute. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. I think I joined in 2018 and then basically took a year and a half off because of work um, related stuff. And then, yeah. So, um, one of the things that I noticed on Arena's website was they are training Democratic candidates um, and campaign staff. And I think it even mentioned because there was a need there that maybe maybe um, the same need they didn't perceive, at least with the Republicans, like maybe the Republicans had been doing a better job of developing bench, bench strength. Is this accurate? And how are they doing it? Yeah. Is there, is there a, like a, a Republican equivalent to like arena or are they do, doing it different ways or a little bit, but honestly, this is such a big problem that we could use solutions like this on both sides. And okay. in the middle, and in the middle, I think too. You know, arena. We actually started as a. Our vision was to make it a kind of bipartisan effort. Um, but what we found pretty quickly is that the people who were showing up at our events were, like I said earlier, reacting to Trump, and so okay. they were pretty, fr- pretty sort of steadfast Democrats who were showing up yep. to our, uh, to our events. Um, but I think this is such a big problem, and it's a problem on both sides, and I think that there's room for solutions like this. Well, what's cool about it is, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds to me like you can take someone who might have the passion, the desire, the skill set, but not the right maybe connections or experiences, Exactly. and you help them with the connections and experiences, and golly, man, that's we need way more of that. Yeah. We need way more of that. Yeah. Well, if you ever try and find a job in the political space, it's a lot of like, you just got to know the right person. People are just passing resumes around. It's like a very informal, behind the curtains kind of thing. Hmm. And that's part of what we were trying to break. At all levels, it's that way? Yes. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Um, And so, because if you're someone who doesn't know the right person, it's really hard to break in Mm -hmm. or, or like know where to start. Um, and so that was, and I think that, and that's a problem across the board. Mm-hmm. Um, if we really want to, you know, have like a new generation of, you know, young, inspiring, competent leaders on all sides and, and, and in all corners of our sort of political arena, I think we, there's, there's room for lots of yeah. solutions like this. How do you 
think about the elections that everyone's aware of in America, like the president and some of those like federal levels mm-hmm. versus local. Do you think they're both very important or do you think the local gets like underserved a lot because everyone's focused on the federal like the and and they could actually do more impact if they'd focus locally? What that, that's a there? that is a great question and it's definitely what you just said. Um, we tend to over focus on our federal the kind of sexy elections exactly. at the expense of the local and state ones so, where often the policy decisions that actually impact people in their everyday lives, that's where those decisions are being made in the state legislature, for example, right? Um, there's a lot of policies happening in the Tennessee state legislature that actually impact our day-to-day lives living exactly. here in Nashville. Um, and I think we tend to look past those races to look at who's running for U.S. Senator, who's running for Congress. Um, and so part of what we, we actually focus on the down-ballot races, um, we we still Which supported mean, so like ballot. state and state and federal or sorry state and local races okay uh, because we think that those tend to be ignored um, okay. and your investment of time and money goes a lot further in those races too yes money pours into federal campaigns almost to the point where they don't sometimes they don't even know how to spend it at all. Hmm. The, the lower level campaigns have the opposite problem. They're starved for resources. Interesting. And so, so you, by support, you know, um, we would place a staffer on a state legislative campaign. Um, often that meant doubling the campaign staff size. <laughs> and, and, and there were some cases where we would pay for that staffer. So it was no cost to the camp. It was like no cost to the campaign. Suddenly they're getting, you know, a doubling in their staff size at no cost to them. You can imagine the difference mm-hmm. that that might make. So you, and you said it, but you think that focusing on the big sexy campaigns, the elections is often at the expense of local. Definitely. Hmm. Definitely. And it's like, and it, and again, it's, beca- and that's a problem because the policies that actually impact our lives are being developed often at the state and local level. Yes. Um, what, are the issues that the left cares most deeply about? I like to get in kind of the, some of this like from a different perspective here, getting into some of these things and hearing it from your perspective. First of all, is it accurate or okay? No, accurate <laughs> to is, is left synonymous with Democrat and right synonymous with Republican? Or when I say the left, like, you know, does that mean a different thing than if I would say the the Democratic Party? I think it's it, synonymous. I think it's, it's mostly it's synonymous. close enough. Yeah, that we can, okay. I think so. Right. Okay. And we could probably so, debate whether or not that's a good thing, but okay, <laughs> I think it is. I think it's probably synonymous. Yeah, it would be fascinating to know where like the right and the left ever did come from to begin with, because yeah. I've never heard anything about that. Do you know or no? I don't. No. Sure. Are you asking me? Uh, I don't know. I thought you looked at me. <laughs> yeah, you can look it up if you want to. Um, okay. Well, okay. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. The question, I'm sorry, the the issues that the left cares most deeply about. What what do you think those are? Well, I think we I think we tend to overfocus on some of the wrong issues, right? Um and this is some of me just speaking from like my personal opinion. Um we at, at Arena, we were not policy or issue oriented. We were candidate oriented right so we pick people more based on like their values and less based on like which specific policies 
they were in favor of. And we didn't have like a checklist of things that we were looking for. You must support this, 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 and this. We didn't have anything like that. Hmm. So we looked for candidates who like, can they tell a clear story about like why they're running, how they're going to help their constituents? Are they, are they from the community that they're trying to represent? Um, do they just seem like a nice and real person who you can imagine like sitting down and having a genuine and authentic conversation with? Those were the kinds of things that we, hmm. that we looked for. Um, but I think that said, I, 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 I think part of what we're running into in some of these political conversations that we're talking about is that we tend to talk about issues, cultural issues where like, we might just not agree sometimes, right. you know? Um, and, but I also think, I think that's okay if we don't agree, but I think what's happening is we talk about these issues, we realize we don't agree and then we're just in paralysis. Right. And that's the problem. It's the paralysis that's the problem, not the disagreement. Um, and so I think, um, you know, I don't know. I wish there was a way we could have conversations where we disagree, but are still able to make forward progress on policies that we can agree on. Um, and I think that's, I think we're missing a lot of that right now in our political, you know, we're talking about all these cultural issues where like the right and the left are just not going to agree. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and so we need to find issues that we can actually, that we can agree on where we can make progress, where we can come up with like sensible policy and sensible solutions to help make people's lives better. And there are so many out there, but yeah. the problem is we're spending all of our time just talking about the cultural stuff that we can't even get to like, how do we fix these very specific things. Yeah, that, um, that makes a lot of sense. I'm curious from your perspective, in what areas does the right most misunderstand the left? Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's there's plenty. There's got to be a I lot. Mean, yeah. I mean, there's got to be a like, lot. Honestly, on both all, sides. All, 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 like, all of them. You know, it often feels like we're, we're, we're starting from a totally different baseline, you know? Um, and so I think there's a lot, there's many issues where we're just not, we're like hardly speaking the same language mm-hmm. or not even able to agree on basic facts, you mm-hmm. know? And um, why but, is that? Why is that? Because that seems like that might be a problem. At oh, some it's point. definitely, a, it's a huge problem. Yeah. It's like, if we can't agree on the basic facts, it's hard to see how we can find a better way forward. You know, like it's yeah. like, it's gotten to the point where the right has their set of facts and the left has theirs and they don't really... They're contradictory. They don't really work together. And mm-hmm. it's like, if that's how it's going to remain, that's, that seems like a real issue. Yeah. I mean, as soon as issues, I mean, the, the issue of the last couple of weeks has been the gas stoves. I don't know if you've followed this discourse no, at all. What's up with um, gas stoves? So there was a, there was some research that came out a few weeks ago that said that uh, gas stoves are a significant cause of, uh, asthma and other issues for, for kids. Hmm. Um, and it was suggested that there might be limits on people, on our ability to install gas stoves in our home in the future as a result. And this created a big firestorm. A lot of people on the right in particular were saying, you're not going to take away, you can't take away my gas stove, that sort of thing. Hmm. Then people on the left start digging in and they're saying, Oh, but the gas stoves are causing all these health problems. And it, quickly bubbles up into you know people weren't talking people weren't even talking about gas stoves a month ago gotcha and now just weeks later it's become this like very inflamed issue Mm -hmm. um and like and and 
I think both sides are kind of talking past each other at this point on it. You know, it's like, it's hard to have like a rational, sane conversation. Um, so I think, I think that, you know, that's one, it, it, it gets so heated and people get so angry and they're just yelling at each other and firing off 280 character tweets at each other mm-hmm. where there's no nuance. And, um, and certainly there's a lot of people on the left that are, that are guilty of this. Like we tend to just like judge too quickly and um, assume the worst in people too quickly. Like if, if I'm going to have a conversation with you and try and convince you of something, like I need to actually listen to what you're saying. Mm-hmm. I need to actually consider your point of view and I need to take a moment to like think about what information do I need to like present you to kind of make the case for my position. But those are often not the political conversations we have. Like it's right. just, it's just yelling. It's just yep. my way. It's, it's my way or the highway. I'm right. You're wrong. Yep. I'm like hardly able even to listen or to or consider your point of view. Um, and I think it just, it, it too quickly devolves into that. Totally. And, and a lot of people, and you want to get it, you don't want to like betray your tribe either. Yeah. You know, right? like I think sometimes people, they might have their opinion, but it's like first they need to see where their tribe's at on this. Then when they know that, <laughs> then they're like, then then they're willing to express their personal opinion. Maybe it's what they thought all along. Yeah. But now they're willing to express it because their tribe feels that same way. But until they know that, they don't really want to speak out too much because God forbid you say something. Right. And, it's like, and it goes against what other. Yeah. 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 It goes against like your, your tribe or whatever. Yeah. You know. Well, that's funny because in the first week of this gas stove thing, it was very much like that. There were there were people on the right and the left that were saying things to that where you were like, oh, maybe they will agree. But then people start to harden into their positions. They figure out what's the like, you know, what's the talking what's points? the what's yeah, what are the talking points? What's the red line I can't cross? Exactly. And then as the weeks pass, people start to to filter into yeah. their, into their camps. It, 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 it's happened real time in front of us over the last month. And it's like, I don't know, it's a little bit disheartening to, yeah. to see. Yeah. What um, what would be some of your biggest disagreements with the right? Is there any, is there anything that comes to mind there for you personally when you think about you know why you're Democrat and not a Republican? What are some of those core things? Would you say? I mean, it comes down to my values as a person. I think a little bit. Um, you know, I'm someone who doesn't believe in like racism, sexism, misogyny, xenophobia, you know, et cetera. And so, and, and that's, that's always where I'm going to start from. And so I'm going to look for the the person or the party or the the side or the candidate who, who starts from a, from that place. Mm-hmm. And often I find, unfortunately that at least from my perspective, people on the right do not start from that place. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's usually where like do personally you, I, I, yeah. I, I struggle. Yeah. Well, look, that's totally fair. I mean, my goodness. Um, those, all of those things are terrible. Do you find that, is your perspective that the right are generally that, or they just don't care enough about it? I think it's both. I think the right has made space in their party for some crazy people who believe some crazy things. Um, and so I think that it has allowed a lot of these crazy views to kind of bubble up to the surface and become, and go more mainstream. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's plenty of people in the Republican party who don't believe in racism and, you know, sexism, and, and they would, they would sit here and say, oh no, I'm totally against all of those things. But at the same time, they've created this, this vacuum, this space for those views to 
to to thrive. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's, you know, that's, a, that's very, a big problem. That's, that's a very interesting perspective. Um, and, and I think I could see how you would get there based on, um, based on some of Trump's behavior, or at least the way that the media portrayed him. Um, and I'm, I'm, is there other, it, I, I assume there is, like I assume there is even a history on the, re, on the right before Trump that would cause you to be like, yeah, these are my values here. And what I'm seeing over there on the right, they tend to not align with this, like even pre-Trump. Yeah, a little bit, but it definitely got way more pronounced after 2016. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think those things were there, but they were much more under the surface. Mm-hmm. Now, going back to that moment in your school where these some of these kids had legitimate questions about whether they're going to be deported, was their policy that Trump was talking about that would indeed have caused them to be deported, or were was there sort of a narrative that was being built up by the media and everything that they were buying into that was in no way going to happen, but it caused them to have fear? It felt possible at the time. Okay. I'll, I'll tell you that much, you know? So, like, it felt like it could happen. It didn't, ultimately. Um, but it felt possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that this, those students were willing to be vulnerable and, and, and even talk about that in front of a, a, a room of their mm-hmm. sort of peers, I think, speaks to the how possible that felt in that moment. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, equality would be one core value that sort of that you would have as a person and you feel like that would, that aligns better with the left and the right. Yes, I think yeah. so. At least, yeah. at least yeah. in our current situation it's, in our current moment. Yeah. Yes, I mean, look, I it's do. your perspective. I mean, you're, you're I'm not going to argue with that whatsoever. I mean, that's your perception. Plus it might be right. You know, I don't, I don't know. Um, what, um, what else comes to mind? Oh, let's see. Um, I'm just sort of curious if there's other like big sort of foundational things that. um... Yeah. I mean, we kind of talked about, we talked about this towards the beginning, but the like our politics is not very professionalized. And that was part of what we built arena to try and solve. Mm -hmm. There's this huge turnover of people coming in and out. We stand up these campaign operations. We send all these really talented people to go work on it. They figure it all out and then hopefully the campaign wins and then it just goes away. Hmm. And then, and then we quit and then we, then the next group of people has to just show up and like figure it out. There's no, there's no transfer of knowledge or information or talent. And so we are constantly standing up and then tearing down um, infrastructure. And, you know, part of the way I think that we actually get out of this. And I think this is true on both sides is that we, professionalize our politics a little bit more, make it a career that people can see themselves working in for a long time. Um, and certainly it's just true on the left just because that's where more of my experience is. I, I imagine it's true on the right also, but um, just the, the, the kind of brain drain that happens in our political spaces is a, is a real problem. So um, you may be against term limits then? Um, I'm actually for, I think I'm for, okay. term li- for term limits, but also for like, 
helping somebody become like a career campaign manager okay. where they can manage several yeah. campaigns of several different people sure. over the course, over the sure. course of their career. Yeah. Cause that's one of the things that stood out to me that I had guess I just didn't ever occur to me quite in this way is, you know, let's say I want to run for that. It's a Harris County, that judge. Yeah, Harris County judge. Say I yeah. want to run to be Harris County judge. Um, man, you know, if I don't, I don't know the first thing. So I would, it would need someone with some experience to help run a campaign. Mm. But yeah. it seems hard to find because you're assembling a fresh team every time. Because if I get elected, my campaign manager is out of a job. Yep. So is everyone on the campaign. So now what do they do? Yep. You know, and I would assume to to be involved in the campaign, it's sort of a full time gig for a short period of time. Yes. Like maybe more than full time. Yeah. Like a lot, maybe. Yeah. So it's like a real intense thing for a short period of time. It doesn't really work to have a full time job, but it's only you know, what is it, a year? Eight months, Eight a months? year, and then it just goes away. And then it goes away. Yep. So it's this does seem like the type of thing where it's just a lot of churn. It's almost like you're starting over every time. But yeah. what's to be done about that? Um, we need to invest earlier, right? So, like, in addition to we, we at Arena, we were constantly telling people, it was the question you asked earlier, we were constantly telling people, you got to look at the state and local races. In addition to that, you've, we've also got to look at races earlier in the cycle. We have this tendency to wait until months before the election when it's kind of feels real and feels close. Um, but but these campaigns are won and lost and the sort of the operations are it, it's it's decided much earlier than that. And we need oh. to be, you know, sending resources and people and talent to these campaigns just much earlier um, than we are right now. Yeah. Like a lot, a lot of donors will show, you know, for the elections in November, donors, donors will show up in October saying, oh, I want to donate a bunch of money to this campaign. But like often at that point, they can't even put your money. They can't even put your money to good work if they want it, even if they wanted to. Maybe they can buy some ads with it, but like they're not going to hire another person Hmm. in October. Mm -hmm. So um, if we really want to solve this problem, we've got to direct more resources to campaigns earlier in the cycle. That makes sense. How much roughly does it cost to run a campaign to be the Harris County judge? Great question. I do not know off the top of my head. I suspect that one's kind of expensive, just given how many people live in Harris County. Okay. Um, but a lot of races for smaller offices, school board, even state legislative races, like, I don't know, $100,000. It's not It's not okay. as much as you might think where some of these U.S. Senate races are in the, like, millions of dollars. Okay. So yep. it's, it's an order of magnitude difference. Yep. So, like, for that $100,000, that gets you some help. Gets yep. you some ads. It gets yep. you some, you know, getting the word out. That's that's what you need. Yeah, campaign. Yeah, okay. a lot of the smaller races, it's like one. It's you know, it's one to two people that are yeah. on the that are on the staff. Um, let's come back to your core value as a human, like you're, you, you know, anti-racist, um, not into misogyny, um, those things that you listed, which I would totally appreciate. Um, do, I I guess I'm wondering, um, is the, is there a misunderstanding going on between the right thinks the left is too into woke culture and the left just wants to have equality? Like, is this a, an area we're missing, missing each other in? Because that was a very surprising answer. Honestly, when you said that, I'm thinking, Oh shoot! Like, is is there is there systemic those things on the right? Because that'd be a real bummer. Those are pretty bad things. Yeah. I mean, I think unfortunately there are those. That is a systemic problem on the right. 
Um, again, I don't think it's true of everybody on the. I don't think it's true of everybody on the right, but I think there the the space for it has been created. Do you um, think the space for it has really been created with Trump, primarily? Yes, or? I do. Okay. I, th- I think it again, and I think it was sort of there before, but it was more in the undercurrents, and then now I think with Trump out in the open, coming down the golden escalator and saying that all the Mexicans are rapists, like I think it just created this much more apparent space for it to, to mm-hmm. kind of bubble up. So, so then how, how would you view the woke culture like that's happening right now? Would you view this as good or would you view it as getting a little bit carried away? Um, one of the big name comedians, I think it was Tom Segura or someone similar was saying that they had toured a high school in California and they're, at, at this, they had a, they had a, um, like a parents meet and the teacher meeting to see, you know, to learn more about the school. And one of the parents asked the question, is it true at this school that they have a white kid stand on a chair and all of the, um, the minority kids on the floor yelling obscenities at the white kid standing on the chair. And they were like, yeah, that, that they do that. Oh, wow. They do that here. And so Tom or whoever it was like, yeah, well, we can't go here to school. Like, would you see that as an overreach or would you see that as like, we're finally leveling the field a little bit? Like to me, that seems like I could see where someone would look at that and say, that's a little bit of an overreach, you know, of, of equalization or like, that's like going a little too far with the woke stuff. Yeah. I, to me, that would seem like an overreach. I think that, you know, this goes back to what we were talking about a few minutes ago. I think, especially, and this is, I think a lot of people on the left of guilt are guilty of this, of um, communicating with a lot of judgment, right? Or like communicating their beliefs with a lot of, um, while also making a lot of assumptions about the people that they're communicating them to. And um, I think too many of our conversations are, are one way and not two way. Like in that, in that example, it's just the one side kind of yelling literally at the other where I think what we actually should be doing if we really were, you know, wanted to reach a kind of productive, healthy solution is having a, you know, a two-way dialogue mm-hmm. where we're actually listening to each other. Um, where we're like trying to consider the perspective of the other person while also offering our own. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that there are lots of people on the left and on the right too, but it's definitely true of people on the left who, you know, they believe what they believe and they're not going to, you know, hear it or have it any other way. And they're just gonna, you know, keep saying their, 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 their talking points, their positions. Yeah. Well, that definitely happens um, on the right. Yeah. Too. Yeah. There's yeah. No I mean, <laughs> <laughs> um, but we, we just don't listen to each other anymore yeah. and we don't, you know, we don't assume, and we also don't assume the best of each other either. So it's like hard to imagine how you're going to end up in like a positive, yeah. healthy place yes. at the end of a conversation. Um, so I, so I guess to answer your question, yes, I do think some of, I I think there's plenty of examples where it's like, quote unquote, gone too far. Mm -hmm. But now that said, I also think that like conversations are good. Accountability is good. Like there, you know, the events of the last couple of years, the murder of George, George Floyd, et cetera. Like a lot of these conversations are super important. It is important that we're having them. I think a lot of them are being having, are being had in poor ways. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yes. Yes, I, I agree. And I think, um, you know, the George, George Floyd gets mentioned a lot. And as as w- 
you know, rightfully so. But man, the one I think of a lot too is uh, Ahmad Arbery. Mm. I mean, that's just like anytime like George Floyd gets mentioned, I I think of Ahmad Arbery too because I don't hear as much about him. Yeah, and you know, and maybe well, actually, one of the guys was an ex-cop, wasn't they? Is that right or wrong? No, mass shoot. I don't know. I'm thinking. I actually I don't remember, so that might be completely wrong. But that seemed that seemed like such um, evidence of racism that um, it didn't get the press because it wasn't like a, a active duty police officer. But um, yeah, damn man, we have a ways to go in this country yet. Definitely. Um, how how about? Um, Shoot, I was going to ask you something else along those lines. But now I can't remember what it was about that. He was an ex-police officer? He was, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, let me ask you this. It seems to me like the the one area that, um, that we're also sort of like in, entrenched in a little bit is the left seems to like to talk about the right as in we need to make sure they don't set up an authoritarian government and basically screw our democracy. Mm-hmm. And the right likes to talk about the left as if they're all corrupt. You know, it seems like, are those fair stereotypes? Would you say like, I mean, I think often with like stereotypes, not often in, have not, a basis of tr- stereotypes okay. often have a basis of truth to them, right? Okay. Like it starts somewhere. Yep usually becomes embellished and exaggerated over time, but it's usually starts with some basis of truth. There are plenty of people on the left who are like, you know, like career politicians who are just in it for the fame or the notoriety or whatever, but not really because they care about helping and serving people. And, and that's a real, and that's a real problem. And, and, and our system is designed to keep the people in power who are in power. Right. So once you're in office, it's a lot easier to stay there. Um, there are strong incentives to stay there for a really long time. And I think the longer you stay there, the more likely it is that you kind of are just like part of the system and a little bit more disconnected from, you know, the everyday people yep. in your district or your constituents. And so um, that's actually why I think, I think term limits are a good idea mm-hmm. um, because I think this tends to be, a, you know, the, the pattern that you see is the longer someone's in office, the more likely that they, you yeah. know, um, they're like more kind of part of the system, so to speak. Yes. Um, so I think, fr- you know, fresh faces, fresh perspectives, new people, a new generation is like is good no matter what. Yep. Um, but also it would help if we would make the job not suck so bad. Yeah, that's true, too. Right. Yeah. I mean, because and pay a little bit be- and pay a little bit better. Exactly. Too. Exactly. Because um, you Kobe turned me on to the all in podcast. and I know we we talked about it briefly at the gym the other week, but. You know, they were just talking about this in one of their recent episodes, and Sachs was just making the point that what what's in it for him to get involved politically? I mean, maybe he will, yeah. maybe he won't. I have I have no idea, but it's just there's not a lot of upside unless unless you like power, you know, which lots of people do. Yeah, well, it's that you know, or you want to help people. It's it's either you want the power or you want to help people, and we yes. hopefully want to lift up more people who want the the helping people. Yes, part of that. but if it's the but see, there's a there's a better human or an easier human explanation for someone willing to give up some of the niceties that they have for the power because it like plays on human nature. But for someone to give up the niceties they have 
in exchange in, in order to help people that takes real totally it's a big sacrifice. character yeah you know that takes real integrity and that that's a sacrifice mm-hmm. and it seems like there's less of that out there um so you think those are fair stereotypes that the right sometimes has or tends to trend towards author- authoritarianism and the left maybe corruption I don't know if I would classify it as corruption more as I would. Um, I don't even know what the right, I don't know what the right word is. Cause it's, I don't think there are people on the, I don't think there's a, at least a lot. I'm sure there are some people on the left who are corrupt, but I don't think there's, it, that is a large widespread, widespread problem. I okay. think the problem is more, it's a little more nuanced, nuanced than that. I think mm-hmm. it's that people have been in the system for a long time and there's not oh, a lot okay. of, and, and okay. it's, and it's just, they're just kind of, Part, they they know a lot of lobbyists they don't spend a lot of they don't spend a lot of time talking to constituents they're spending all their time in dc instead of in their district that makes sense uh, and so they're just more part of the like the sort of political machine sure as opposed to like doing it to help the people that elected them yep so do you think there's more career politicians on the left than the right no, I think that's probably this is probably a problem on both sides. Okay. So, okay. I know, I think there are career politicians on on both sides who yeah have succumbed to this. Okay. Uh, you know, I don't know a lot about Mitch McConnell, but he looks like he's been at it for a long time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> Diane Feinstein, U.S. Senator from California. Yeah. Um, she was in the news the last couple of days because uh, two other uh, Democratic, uh, two other Democrats in the state have decided to run against her. Diane Feinstein is eighty nine years old. Wow. And she's she needs to decide whether or not she's going to run for re-election for a six-year term to the U.S. Senate. Oh my goodness, she's considering it. The fact that she's considering is it, it just makes you roll your eyes because wow. it's like, like why? Why? That's exactly what why? I was thinking. Why? So there's already other people that have stepped up to run for the seat, but the fact that she hasn't yet said, "I'm going to turn that it's now time for like someone new to to step in." Yeah, that's to me that just seems crazy. Here's a perspective that I I would love to hear from you. What was what was your experience or perception of QAnon? Do you know what I'm talking about? I do. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm not someone who went deep down that rabbit hole. I like I, of course I know I know what QAnon is and I'm like aware of its existence, but um and unfortunately I have a few, a few people in my life who've gone down the the rabbit hole, but um yeah, I, I I don't have a ton of like firsthand or personal okay. exposure. Or so it was something that sort of was, and you heard a little bit about it, and there was some chatter or whatever, but you didn't really you didn't really get that involved in it. You didn't hear that much about it. It didn't affect your your life that much. Is that what I'm hearing? That's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I have a, I have a I have a good I I do have a good friend of mine though who's uh, who's always been kind of, you know, he's been conservative and, you know, on the right, so to speak, but never very politically active. He was, I just knew him as, and his family is like a conservative person. But then after 2016, he and his whole family have gone down that, uh, gone down the, the QAnon yeah. hole. Um, it, and, and you ask them and they'll tell you it's all real. Yeah. Oh yeah, man. Yeah. Um, and there's, yes. There's some crazy stuff got lumped in with there. But it's interesting to hear your experience of it because this probably speaks to me hearing the 
voices from the right loudest in general on average. These are generalities because, um, dude, I heard a lot about QAnon, man. Yeah. A lot. To, more than I cared to hear. <laughs> <laughs> Still or no? No. It died off pretty quick. Yeah. <laughs> when, it, when did it die off? After 2020? It or died off. More recently than that? It died off after it became reasonably apparent that Trump was not going to go back and take over the White House. I see. Listen, okay. let me just tell you something right now. I know parents of friends, the friends of my age, so the parents are in their 60s, really good people. Yeah. And probably, I, smart, let me guess, intelligent, smart, per, educated. Right? Um, yeah, yeah, decent people that were sure, not it could happen, were positive that a year after the election that Trump was going to go back in and take over the White House. I mean, it was, to wrap my head around that, it's like, it... it, it, it a lot of the stuff got so weird and the the people that were buying into it were people that I know and were very reasonable people that it was like a it was like a what's that term when you have like a disconnect it's like a it was just like a a, a dissonance like a disconnect yeah. I, I can't I still cannot properly describe to you what happened the best way I know how to describe it which by the way it wasn't all wrong like a couple times I would hear things that when I heard it, I'm like, come on, seriously? And then a year or two later, guess what? It happened. So there was a category for that, too. I'm not saying it was all wrong. Um, it wasn't all false. But, ooh, a lot of it was false. Yeah. A lot of it was crazy. I mean, I'm talking like some of these people still believe that Michelle Obama is actually a man and she's covering as a woman. Like when that shit, when, when Trump got COVID, it was because he was going out to, he didn't actually get COVID. He was going out to the ship to some ship to judge the Clintons. It, dude, I mean, it's, I'm embarrassed to even say this stuff out loud. <laughs> Tom Hanks. It, what was the Tom Hanks one? Same thing. Clintons, they're all in conspiracy. Well, I mean, the Clintons probably are in a conspiracy <laughs> with Tom Hanks, but is that is that what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. Well, that, you know, that could be. Child abducting and things like oh, that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like, when the ship was brought into New York City, it was because they were going to bring out all of these abducted children yeah. underground in New York City. Be oh, you know, I forgot about a lot of this stuff. I don't even want to talk Sorry more about it. Sorry to bring it, it up. Yeah, because it was... Um, this, the sex slavery for children was a, one of the core things of the QAnon stuff. I had kind of forgotten this. But anyhow, it was um, it was crazy town. And the best that I know how to describe it with some of the fringe stuff, again, it wasn't all wrong, but there was some really weird stuff on the fringes. And it seemed like for some reason that it was, it was really popular with... Um, the more conservative people and even like people of faith for some reason. Yeah. I don't know why, but it, it, it seemed the, the best way I know how to describe it was there was a season there where it felt like there was a, felt like there was like a, a, a spell 
that was being like cast on people. Like it, it seemed like people got caught up in a spell. It's the only way I know how to really describe some of the weirdness. Yeah, I mean, I feel that too. I, I It sounds like maybe you were exposed to it a little bit more than I was, but from the limited exposure I did have, I'd certainly felt that way. It's yeah. like, it was like hard, it's like hard to process how people could come to those conclusions. Yeah, and I think that, I think that Trump was such a, you know, it's a t- discussion all of its own, but, you know, there was people that, that just got so bought into Trump that I would have never guessed. Like, I, I okay, if you say they assessed their options and voted for him and then, you know, even supported him somewhat, I could, I could understand that. You know, at the end of the day, we're all just assessing options, you know, casting the vote or whatever, and maybe showing some support or not, or maybe you're just quiet at that point. You've, you've done your job, you know? Yeah. I could get that. I could, I could understand that. But it was like... There was a lot of people that got so bought in and got so behind him. It was almost like he had this like savior. It was like he had this like savior effect on yeah. people. It was like he was like a little god. Like he was so. And these were people that wouldn't. You wouldn't think they would like align with Trump's personal values. Yeah. Well, again, like the people that I know that went down this that went down this path, they weren't even that politically interested before 2016. You know, and so like a lot of like it it, it was a lot of the people who I saw who this hit the hardest were people who were not super dialed in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no doubt. And I think um, it's scary. Yeah, it was scary. It was scary because it was really, really weird. And I think that I think Trump played into it a little bit. He kept some of that stuff. He'd stoke the fires. Yeah. Every so often, like it seemed like he, it seemed like he was aware of its existence and kind of just. But he pretended that yes. he wasn't. Yeah, yeah but he yeah. was aware of it. Like you wink, know wink, he, wink. Exactly, hundred percent, hundred percent. And you know, I think this speaks to some of Trump's um, public brilliance, like knowing what to give people, when, and how yeah. to like get his way. I mean, I think he, I think he's pretty, pretty good at that. Yeah. Oh, he's like a master manipulator in that way, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, what's your perspective on Tulsi Gabbard not aligning with the Democratic Party anymore? Because um, she was, the, I, I thought that um, when, let's see, who was it? Um, well, it was Biden and Kamala running against Trump and Pence. And um, uh, no, yeah, yeah, I was thinking that, um, we no, this is. I'm sorry, I screwed that. I screwed that up because this is not what I was thinking at that time. But it seemed like Tulsi had some real potential. Like she's a woman, she's a minority, very smart. She's politically experienced a little bit, um, and she's with the Democrat Party. Like it seemed like she had a real, um, a real future. But the, um it also seemed like she was not fitting in there. They weren't like pushing her along towards the end there. And then she decided to leave because of those reasons. What's your perspective on that? Yeah. I've always gotten a bit into a bit of a weird vibe from Tulsi, if I'm honest. Um, even when, even back when she was more explicitly kind of Democrat progressive, I know she's kind of in this middle zone now. Um, You're not just saying that cause she left the Democratic no, party. I'm not. Uh, she really, no, you she, always had a weird well, vibe from her. She always seemed like someone who 
to back to our conversation from a few minutes ago was more in it for the power and the notoriety really? than the actual helping of people. So back huh. in when she was running, she was running for president. Um, so this was, this would have been back in 2019, maybe um, we were hosting one of the arena Academy events that I was talking about earlier. And she actually, she just showed up out of the blue. Um, unexpected. We weren't expecting her. And uh, so, so you got to imagine we're in this, I think this was in, I want to say we were in Arizona. So we were in Phoenix. Um, maybe it was, I, it was either, it was Arizona or Iowa. I can't remember, but in any event, we were hosting this event. We're in like some hotel in downtown in the middle of the city. We've got two or 300 people there. We're doing a bunch of training sessions on like how to be a campaign manager, how to be a finance director, how to be an organizing director. Tulsi showed up and we're, we were like in the middle of sessions and we weren't expecting her. And she kind of insisted that we stop everything that we were doing for the few hundred people that were at this event and move them on, bring them all back together so that she could address the group. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like spontaneously spur of the moment, sort of interrupting our whole like flow and plan for what we were doing. So we, we politely declined uh, her request. I think she left a little bit disappointed and a little bit unhappy with us, but that was kind of, kind of my like one experience with, with yeah. Tulsi. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. I just, I, I, she always just struck me as somebody who was looking for a path to achieve kind of like fame and notoriety. And actually mm. I think her recent actions sort of, sh- sort of prove that out a little bit, you okay. know? Um, like she has sort of carved out this niche for her where she, where, where that is becoming kind of true, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, like, I don't think I, she's not actually helping constituents or helping people, but she is developing like a name for herself. Sure. You know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would have to imagine that she has become quite a lot more popular. Yeah. I mean, she certainly would become more popular from the right. Correct. Even if she doesn't go Republican. Right. Right. You know, the fact that she left the Democratic Party and all of that. But that that is interesting to hear that experience. It's stuff like that that we don't, I don't ever get to experience with any of them. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's, and look, like if she if she had contacted us a few days before and said, hey, sure. I'm going to be in town. Can I stop by for 15 minutes and say hi to all these like young people who are trying to work on campaigns? Mm-hmm. Like we probably, we would have figured it out. We would have made it work. But mm-hmm. it was just, it was sort of the like, the sort of like air of superiority that she kind of showed up with this just kind of rubbed us the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So, all right. So you not, have not necessarily been a fan of her all along. So when she kind of like ups and it, it didn't even come party, as that much of a surprise. It didn't even come as a surprise to me when all that happened. Uh, okay. when that happened. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Who, um, who are you, who, who do you see has a lot of, potential on the left who do you like yeah i'm i'm i will show my cards and admit my bias here i'm a big fan of pete Buttigieg. um i just i just think he's he to my point earlier where we like we look for the values he like he's somebody who's driven by his values and who um is a is a it seems like a real and authentic person and i think um in whatever position that he's in is driven, driven by the right reasons, right? Like he wants to help people. He wants to pass policies that will like actually improve people's lives. Um, I've always, I've always thought he's a very effective communicator. If you watch him on TV, 
he will take like tax policy or other really like tedious things and explain them in like easy to understand that's got to be hard. Ways. Yes, it is. That's got to be hard. Um, well, he's the transportation. That's be like an art. Yeah, he's the transportation secretary now. And you know, over the last couple of weeks, there's been between the Southwest thing and then the the FAA shutdown. He's been on the news a bunch, trying to uh, you know talk through some of that. Um, but he can take like tedious, complicated things and explain them in like an easy to understand way. Mm-hmm. He's a really effective communicator. Um, he's not afraid to like go on Fox News or go on other outlets that are typically associated with like the right. Um, so he'll talk to all the, you know, he'll go everywhere mm. when he, his presidential campaign, one of the, the strategy, um, that they implemented was do all the press. So they would talk to anybody left, right, center. They were saying yes to pretty much every media and press opportunity that they could. And, um, that was how he got some of that initial traction or, and really made a name for himself early. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, re- I just think Pete has a, a sort of bright career ahead of him. So did he run? Did he run in 2020? He did. Okay. Yep. And what do you know what his plans are in the future? I don't publicly anyway. I'm not sure. I mean, he's the trans, he's the transportation secretary at the moment. I don't know what his future plans are. Okay. And that is an appointment, correct? Yes. So Biden would appoint him to to something like that. Correct. Um, I wanted to ask you about also the, um, the classified documents that they keep finding everywhere. <laughs> I saw the reason. Drip, I'm, drip, I'm, drip. Yeah. <laughs> the reason I'm chuckling is because I saw on Nashville, there's this Instagram account, like Nashville, Tennessee or Nashville something. It's like, you know, one of those accounts like for tourism in the city. And it posted um, a fake TV shot of like breaking news. They found classified documents at the Hermitage and <laughs> Andrew Jackson's family is upset or whatever it was it was kind of funny because these documents apparently just keep popping up everywhere yeah. um one of the things that i've heard said about this is that it it could like maybe we're just overclassifying things i think that's definitely true like we the government is cares too they're trying to protect too much information and they just slap the classified on way too much stuff yeah and at the end of the day and it I becomes mean, impossible to manage how in the world are you yeah. going to manage yeah. that yeah. Do you think that's what it is? Or do you think, because um, I think there was um, another viewpoint on the documents being found in Biden's office or whatever it was, where like one of the thoughts was, well, maybe they're kind of setting him up to let him down easy. Like if the party doesn't want to run him again in 24, could this be a way that, you know, they make it, more apparent earlier that it's just not going to. Yeah. Interesting. Do you think it's that, or do you think, do you think that's just, they just found documents because there's too many classified documents. I think there's a bunch of things happening all at the same time. And this issue, it, it, it seems simple on the surface, but I actually think it's like kind of nuanced and complex. And like a lot of that, if you just read like a, you know, a 10 second or see a 10 second news clip that you miss all of the complexity and nuance. So I think it's definitely true that we're overclassifying things. There are just way mm-hmm. too many classified documents, which makes it an impossible system to manage. And then we keep them all classified for too long. Yes, right? exactly. Stuff from a long time ago doesn't need to remain classified. Um, there's no real national security secrets that are being protected after a certain point in time. So I think we could declassify things much faster yep. um, and solve a lot of this. Um, it, it's if, if you read into the details, it sort of seems like you know, at least in Biden's case, it just seems like a big oopsie, you know, like he's, you know, he's the old guy and he, you know, <laughs> got some boxes in the garage and he's like, oh, well, look at this here. I, you know, oops. Um, 
uh, whereas you read the details on the Trump version of it and it seems much more intentional. Um, you know, there's, there, there was a year, year of conversations of, uh, the documents trying to be them trying to recover the documents and Trump Mm -hmm. saying, no, no, no. Um, so the issue, I I think they were looking for specific documents and he was saying no. Yes. Trump was, Trump, Trump was (laughs) insisting my understanding. This, this is all new to me in the last few months. You know, I'm learning about this issue in real time kind of as we go and I'm, and I'm no expert. So, but my understanding of it is that, you know, government documents are property of the government. Right. So cl- like classified documents are government property because they're because they are the property of the people of the country. Right. Mm-hmm. So they're like they're they're sort of our property. But, you know, through we don't the, get to see it. We don't get to see them. <laughs> Correct. We don't get to see them, but they're our property through the government. You would think maybe we get to see them over time once they declassify them. But like they're the government property or the property of the people of the country. Right. Trump was insisting, no, they're my property. These are mine. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was that that was really the kind of the core of that disagreement in Biden's case. I don't think he was ever making the claim that they were his. I think it was, an, it, he's, they said, whoops, we didn't even intend for these to be here. Yep. Um, and they were turned over right away. Yep. So, um, and then they and found it, some at Pence's house also, right? Yes. I saw that too. Right, so, I, and again, I think that's, but then back to the original point, there's too many classified documents. Yeah. It's, and it's like, if there's too many, of course, of, of course they're going to inadvertently when you, when Joe Biden, Joe Biden has worked in politics all his life, mm-hmm. you know, so like inadvertently, he's going to end up with something in his bag or at home that he wasn't supposed to have, and that yep. you know it's just like, yep, is it bound a, to happen? Is um, it a, with it, our with our current with the way the current system is designed? I don't think it's really a people yeah. problem. I think it's a more of a system design problem. Well, I think it's sort of metaphorical for some of the things that it would be good if we could change with the government, which is. Look, apparently, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter that much who's president. I mean. There's probably really good arguments against that exact statement. But look, we had Trump and we're still a country. I mean, we have Biden and we're still working like. And what I'm speaking to is like the people that never get elected and never leave. Like that's the like the, you know, the career people like working. Yeah. Are not elected. They don't ever go anywhere. And presidents come and go and they stay. Yeah. It seems like increasingly those are the people that are running this country. Yeah. Which is not great. No. Because they're not elected officials, right? But, um, and they don't want, and they don't want the information getting out. So it, it kind of seems like you know these classified documents popping up everywhere because we're slapping classified on everything. Like it's almost like a, it's like an indication of a of a bigger problem. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, what um, what do you think about? What do you think is most likely going to happen between DeSantis and Trump going into 24, do you think? If I knew the answer to that, I... I uh, <laughs> <laughs> you make some money. Yeah, or something. <laughs> yeah. Something. Um, you know, uh, man, I don't know. I personally, I hope Trump doesn't run because I'm ready to just like turn the chapter and turn the page. But, you know, he... Like but he said he he's is going. He to, is. Right? Okay. Yeah. He like, yeah, I'm just saying I, I wish he wasn't. Yeah. Um, but, uh, well, if I, he didn't, DeSantis would be the clear front. I runner, think so. It correct? seems, it seems that way. Yeah. Um, and it seems like he might be running anyway, despite the Trump. And there might be a, a sort of standoff between the two of them, which could be interesting to, to see what happens there. But, yes. um, you know, I think if we think back to 2016, you know, Trump ran as the outsider mm-hmm. as the sort of anti-establishment, candidate 
I think there's a chance he might try and do that again. You mm. know, even as the person who was just the Republican president, mm-hmm. he might now start saying like, I'm DeSantis is the establishment. I could see that. And I'm the, Absolutely. I'm the outsider trying to break back in. He might take this Absolutely. outsider path again. I, I watch, could be interesting. Um, I basically, I just get my news from one email bullet point that gets emailed to me every morning and, and then every so often I'll check in on breaking points on YouTube. And what I like about them is they have a a dude and a gal and one is right and one is left. Yeah, I've listened I've listened to them a few times. Yeah, yeah. and they were um they they were they were showing I, I didn't know anything about this, but they were saying in the video that uh Ben Shapiro who I I do know who he is, and then a a guy named Steven Crowder who I don't know who he is. They're having a little bit of a spat. I heard about this, and, and it was Stephen yeah. Crowder that 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 cropped. Stephen Crowder was off was offered a job. Ben Shapiro offered Stephen Crowder a job, and then he yeah. I yeah. think it was fifty million over f- four years. But that sounds like a lot. Maybe that's too much. Um, it was a lot of money, and then Crowder basically took this contract and like redacted some sensitive information on it, and went public with it, yeah. and was like using it against Ben Shapiro, and one of their hypotheses on this was is it possible that Crowder is trying to align himself against Shapiro and the establishment because Shapiro apparently is likes DeSantis more than Trump and so could it be like it's going to go like Steven Crowder and his guys with Trump oh interesting Shapiro and DeSantis and there's going to be the showdown um but like I said I don't even know who Steven Crowder is so I don't know much more about all that than literally what I just said, but if, if that happens, it could get gnarly. Yeah. It could get gnarly between Trump and DeSantis. If like the figureheads like Ben Shapiro and I can't imagine Crowder's his equal, but if he has a big tribe and they start yelling at each other, I mean, could grieve. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be entertaining again at best. Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know much. I don't know much about that. Yeah. What do you, do you think the moderates as an emerging class, is there any future there or are we just entrenched here where it's right and left and there's not a good, you know, you get elected by like appealing to like the, the extremes. Mm-hmm. Um, what would have to happen for more people to like come together and I guess consider themselves more moderate yeah. as opposed to, you know, extreme right, extreme well, left right now, all the incentives are s- pushing people to the extremes, which is not a good thing. Exactly. Um, I, even though I'm someone who can, I like, I think of myself as on, like, I'm on the left. I'm a progressive person. I'm a Democrat. Like I consider myself relatively moderate though, mm-hmm. like a, a relatively moderate person on the left. Um, but, and it often feels like there's hardly space for that. I know people on the right who feel similarly, they consider themselves conservative and on the right, but they look at the party and it's too extreme for them. I mean, I just, I just described my dad earlier. He's been a lifelong Republican. He's voted Republican his entire life. But then 2016 came around. He, he couldn't get himself to, to vote for, for Trump. I think he, I can't remember if he voted for Clinton. He either, he either didn't vote. Or he like begrudgingly voted for Clinton. 
I don't remember which one of those two it was, but like he, I would describe him this way. Like he's relatively moderate, but on the, but conservative and on the right. And he would love to support like moderate, but you know, conservative candidates. And I think that our, our system is unfortunately, it's a system design problem. All of our, the, the whole structure of our system is just designed to push people further and further and right. further. Um, I, I think there are some solutions that are being proposed that are interesting. Um, a lot of people are talking about ranked choice voting mm. as a potential way around this, because if you, you know, so part of, part of the, these incentives, like it's all comes down to the primaries, right? If you can win the primary, you're going to probably win the general. You're, you're, you're going to, as long as you're in a district that favors your party, the, the, you're going to win the general. The primary is actually the election that, the election that matters. The candidate that emerges from the primary successful will be the one that probably wins the general, right? Like if you run, if you're running in New York in a pretty blue democratic place, as long as you win the democratic primary, mm-hmm. you're going to win the general, you're going to yes. win the general election. Conversely, if you're a Republican running, you know, somewhere in the South, that's deep red, you win the Republican primary, you're probably going to win the general. The problem has become that there's this huge incentive to just go so extreme during the primary and then the the most extreme candidates are winning the primary, and then they they're they're the candidates that are then, you know, on the ballot in the general. Um, I think we actually saw though in twenty twenty a lot of people reject these kind of more extreme mm. candidates. But I think again, and it comes down to the fact that I think our system is just designed to lift those kinds of people up, and I think we need to change the way the system is designed a little bit. Um, to create more incentives for people to and help lift up more voices mm-hmm. uh, with m- maybe more moderate perspectives and positions. I think with so like with a ranked choice um, uh, with a ranked choice system, you you can you know you you rank the different candidates that you know, this is my first choice, this is my second choice, this is my third, and it and it creates a system where it d- the the most extreme person's not just going to be the automatic winner. It actually will create a, a mm-hmm. way for other people to to. Is there um, any to win. any chance that that we we do that? Is there any talk <laughs> about that? It's there's talk about it, and there's like some states that are exploring it, but we do not seem to be very far along. Like it would, it would be a, I think it would be a state by state change that would have to happen. Okay. Um, you could imagine that there are some states that are probably going to be more excited about this than others. Um, I don't think we're anywhere near adopting this like in a widespread way. Okay. Um. But there's a few places that have adopted it where it has produced interesting results. Like I, I think Alaska is one example where ranked choice voting is a thing. And they recently elected a new congresswoman, um, Mary, uh, Mary Pitola, who's super interesting. Um, and I think that there are some ideas there that we could implement elsewhere that I mm. think would fix some of these. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of, so Andrew Yang. Yeah. Um, I mean, he started New the, York, right? Yeah. So he's in New York. He started the, I don't agree with a lot of what he says, but I think there are some things that he says that are interesting. He's a smart guy. Um, and I listen and I at least always listen to what he says, but um, he talks about this issue all the time. We just need to, we need to change the way we vote because that will change the kind of candidates that are able to, you know, get elected and, 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 and enable actually people who are a little bit more moderate and a little bit less yep. extreme. And is he talking uh, about rank choice voting as one of those? Things? That's one of the, one of the potential solutions. Okay. Yeah. Now, can you explain, because you're in tech now and politics also, uh, with all of the technology that exists now, I mean, we can make our car drive around just from our phone 
why do we still have to, why can't we vote on our phone? I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, surely we can bank on our phone. I mean, you can log in and bank on your phone. You could lose thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars if you didn't do that right. Surely there's a way we can vote on our phone, right? Because I guess if we want to go down to the voting station and stand in lines, fine. And mailing it is fine, but it seems like the 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 mailing it piece, I mean, we don't mail checks to each other that much anymore. You know, you just pay by credit card. Yeah. Is there not a, an electronic way we can vote? Is any is there any discussions around that? Or is this one of those things where one party feels one way and the other feels the other and... Like, is, in there, is there an incentive for one party or another to not vote on our phones? I mean, the more people that vote, the better. So I, I hope we get to a place where that's possible. It's hard to see how we get there from where we are currently. Because um, one party doesn't want to do that, or why? Uh, uh, because I... Um, well, I think people... Uh, yeah, I think the right, uh, in some cases, explicitly or implicitly has you know they they want the they they want a certain group of people to vote to be able to vote mm-hmm. and not others um i think if you move voting to phones for example it opens up the door for a lot more people to vote and yeah. it's a lot of the people who the right do not want to be voting um because they know that they're not going to receive a lot of those votes yeah um so in other words the right wants it to be harder to vote correct and because they're hoping it'll weed out some of the people that they would they perceive are not yeah. going to vote for them. I don't anyway. think they would ever, they're not, most of them are not going to tell you that directly, but yes, I think that is true. Okay. Yep. And then there's also, you know, th- there's also the issues of like election security and fraud and everything like you, you know, which, which you do want to make sure that the person voting is the person who they say they are. And right. It's right. a lot easier to do when somebody's in person and showing up and like, but fortunately election fraud is actually very uncommon despite what a lot of people, you know, say and are talking about um, our elections are, generally pretty secure mm-hmm. and fraud is pretty rare. Um, so I think you would have to design a system that helps continue to ensure that. And I know yeah. there's a lot of people who care very deeply about helping make sure or yeah. making sure that our elections are like are secure. You can imagine if people don't trust the results when it's on paper, imagine how they're going to feel when it's all on, on their smartphone. Yeah. Well, know? that seems way more secure to me. Like would, showing, yeah. showing up at a, <laughs> at a voting booth, even that, I mean, it's just, I guess I'm, you know, maybe I'm revealing my age or whatever. It just feels to me like it's hard to beat the security of a phone. But, you know, I guess not everyone has a smartphone, but most do now, don't they? Yeah. Most I mean, do. I, I hope that, you know, that there's a way that we that we get there. It I seems really like do. showing up at, at the voting booth, you know, fairly secure, probably mailing it. You know, I don't know. I don't know how they do. That seems like maybe it's would be less secure than just going full digital. But, you know, with all of the ways we can secure things digital, it just seems like good grief. It's 2023 and we still have to walk down the street to vote. Like, it just seems really antiquated. Yeah, man, totally agree. Um, All right. Last political question. Getting your viewpoint from the left what was your perspective of covid and in particular fauci it seems like when we got into um covid a little bit the left in particular really seemed to like fauci support everything he was saying and all of that there didn't seem to be much um 
Well, I don't know. I guess actually it, it, this may be correct, but it seemed to me like there wasn't a lot of critical thinking around. It was like whatever Fauci said, you know, all right, now we do. Yeah. Is that your perspective also? Is that an unfair assessment? It seemed like maybe the left was more on board with Fauci than than the right. And I'm talking about like the back half of the pandemic, not really the, the first half. Is that a fair assessment? What was your perspective of yeah, I th- that? Like, I mean, I yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I even count myself as someone who's like generally supportive of Fauci, mm-hmm. um, even though I know there's also been things that he's said, said that haven't been right, you mm-hmm. know? So like, um, I think my default is supportive, but not all the time, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I think that's probably true for a lot of people mm-hmm. on the left. Um, I think that, I think it is definitely true that a lot, you know, we, we, could do a better job of thinking about things critically. I think, especially, especially early in the pandemic um, when there was a lot of mixed messages and when there was a lot of things said that turned out to not be right, but they were said with such conviction. Um, I don't know. It just, it seemed like there was just a lack of trust between the people communicating like Fauci and then, you know, the, the the constituents, us, the people in the country. Um, Like, it seems like they didn't trust us, you know? And so they were trying to, make things simpler, easier to understand. But in doing that, it kind of dumbed things down and made it not totally right or true. Right. Um, And so I think that there were plenty of mistakes made where like Fauci and others could have just been communicating more honestly and and giving a lot more of the, like the nuance and the context instead Mm -hmm. of trying to just make things like super simple. Yeah. Um, And... Yeah. yeah. I, I, so I think I think it's I think it's mixed. Yeah, and even beyond super simple, it started to feel like they were pushing a narrative, you know? Yeah. Like they were trying to get a certain result and so they would say whatever they would need to say to get this result. It was like, well, this is different than making it simple. Now now it seems like you're pushing a narrative. It it was it's there was a point and it, actually it's maybe still some. But there was a definite point about like I don't know, like on the back half of, we say back half, look, there's still like, if you want to call it a pandemic, it's still happening. Yeah, right. I mean, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like it's, yeah. we talk about Ongoing. this like it's like it's over, but there's still plenty of people getting and dying from COVID now. Yeah. Um, but through, I guess, what most of us would perceive as like the worst of it, maybe. There was a point in there, like three quarters of the way in, where it's like, you, it, it kind of felt like you could tell who was watching what news stations. Right. You know what I mean? For sure. Like just how they were in public, particularly I think mask related. It was like, a, you could kind of just tell like who was watching a lot of news and where, which stations they were watching. It seemed like, which seems real. It seems weird. That seems weird. Like if there's a, that much at stake, it, it's like, man, if we, if we make COVID, political like then we're just going to make everything yeah and fortunate at least fortunate the one fortunate thing i guess about covid is that like it was i mean not mild lots of -hmm. people have died from covid but it could have been could have been been way worse so much worse way worse and it makes me very scared for the next challenge like this that we face because what if if it is worse yes i totally agree we did not handle that whole thing and i don't think we've i don't know that we've like learned or implemented any 
real lessons that we're going to like put into practice for next time. And it's, I know it's, that's, it's that scary. is the weird part. That is the scary. It seems part. like we're just kind of, you know, forging ahead. We're and, just moving on. Yeah. Yep. We're just moving on. And yeah, it, it does. That does seem unfortunate. Did you see the movie triangle of sadness? I have not. No. Can I rent, you can rent it on Apple TV okay. and it is, um, you should watch it. Okay. It's like two hours and 20 minutes long. Um, but it's the type of movie that, while it's not super fast paced, it like really tells a narrative really well and keeps you engaged. And um, I won't spoil anything, but there's a scene where they're out on this cruise ship and it's in a storm and um, the ship eventually wrecks. But they're so caught up in their lavish lifestyle that they're like at dinner in this is like going to be the captain's dinner and the captain's locked himself away in his room and he's drunk for the entire trip, but he's the captain of the ship and he comes to the captain's dinner and he's definitely drunk and everyone's at their tables. It's very high end. It's like this really nice dinner and like the ship is rocking and like there's wine glasses rolling across the floor and everyone wants to pretend it's not happening. They just keep eating their dinner and smiling and pretending everything's okay. And, and eventually the ship, Rex, yeah. and look, they're like, it's like, guys, wake up. Yeah. The ship is about <laughs> Do you to see wreck. what's happening outside? Do you see what's happening, yeah. and you're still just eating and drinking? It kind of feels like that's where we're at right now in America. Yeah. It feels like the ship is rocking, and everyone just keeps eating and drinking. Surely it's going to be okay. You know, it's going to be fine. Let's keep, keep distracting ourselves and keep focused. I don't know if it's that bad or not, but sometimes it feels like I, it is. I, I think it is that bad, unfortunately. Hmm. Um yeah. I mean, I, I was, I, I think the one thing that's making me feel better is that I was encouraged by the fact in our most recent elections, a lot of the candidates with the most extreme views, a lot of the like QAnon adjacent stuff that we were talking about, a lot of those candidates lost. Exactly. The people who that's were right. like, did not just yep. flat out denying the results of the 2020 election. At least the majority of our country kind of saw through that and I think rolled their eyes a little bit and, voted for the less extreme person. And I, yeah. that, I think that's the one thing that's making me think that there's a chance that we sort of pull out of this, that this sort of like, you know, our, our we're, we're able to like stop eating and realize that we're in this ship. That's, that's yes. rocking really hard and, and actually do something about it. But yeah. um, I don't know. It is scary. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, what, what do you make of, of love? Like, what do you think, this may sound like a weird question, but what do you think is the role of love in the human experience? When you talk about the things that you value as a person earlier, um, what's behind that for you? Is it love? Is it equality? What, what's, what's there? Like what's the, what's the core value there that's like causing you to not want to get on board at all with someone who's, racist or misogynist or, you know, any, anything like that. My whole life, I've always been someone who's taken an approach of like work hard, be nice, do the right thing, be a good person. And like, I think that's, that's still how I kind of try and carry myself today. And I think mm-hmm. that's the the other things I said earlier, are just an extension of that. Yeah. Um, yep. And I, and I think love is just an extension of that of that too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you find your person who's kind of, who shares those values and who 
um, improves your life. Like I think that's how love kind of starts and, and builds mm-hmm. over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think um, I've asked this question a couple times cause I think it's like love is so central to the human experience um, it, that it's like, it goes, it goes uh, um, unnoticed. Yeah. You know, like it's so, it's so core to everything that's good that it can go unnoticed a lot. Um, but yeah, I, I love that idea of like working hard, be a good person, help others, focus on what you can control. And the I other mean, stuff, the exactly. other stuff lines up. The other stuff falls. Like if you get that, those things, if you get those basics, right. A lot of the other stuff kind of falls into place. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I totally agree. You know, like I've never, I personally, I've never been someone who's chased like a title or a salary or notoriety. Um, like I really do just focus on like doing good work, like treating people well. And then like the sort of the salary and the other stuff, it, it tends to, it tends to follow. Yes. You know? I a hundred percent agree. hundred percent agree. How old are you? 33. Okay. Yeah. Well that, um, just keep doing that, man. Just keep <laughs> doing that. I mean, I'm not that much further ahead of you. I'm 38, but um, that is, that resonates so much, and that's so true. And I think more people could probably stand to have that approach, um, because. So, would you say you're more focused on than like systems and habits and process than goals? Would you say? Yeah, I. I y- yes, though I do have I have plenty of goals, but they tend to okay. be like a little bit shorter term, right? Like I don't have like a, I don't have a 10 year plan yep. that I'm working yep. backwards from, but you do. I, have I know what I'm doing over the next year and what I'm chasing right now. Yep. And over the next two or three, maybe even two or three years beyond that, who knows it'll fall, but I know that it'll fall into place. Cause I'll yeah. like, you know, keep doing, you know, cha- you know yep. starting with those values. Um, but yeah, I think it's like do good work in the right, you know, in the, in the moment and the other stuff, hundred percent stuff agree. follows. Hundred percent agree. I think um, just uh, have if you can focus on if you can control daily habits, focus yeah. on like the process, the system you set up in your life. I think that just serves people way yeah. better than having this school and then this school and then this school and this, you know totally. And like goals are achieved by taking very small incremental steps every single day or just by doing the same thing every single day, right? You're not going to put a, a, a goal for a year from now on your calendar and then suddenly just achieve it. What you're right. actually going to do is what are your sub goals for each day leading up to that? Yep. That's going to produce the result that you want. Yep. I'm like, I'm a huge believer in sort of daily habits and routines and mm-hmm. um, practices that sort of, that drive that, that, that set you up and drive towards the, yes. those, those right things. Well, what are some of the daily habits and routines that you have that you think are most helpful? Um, I'm sure you can appreciate. I like to get some sort of physical exercise or activity every single day, no matter what, whether including that's Saturdays and Sundays, including Saturdays and Sundays. Okay. Um, but I'm pretty flexible in how I define that. Okay. So it could be going into the gym, could be going on for a long walk with my wife and with the dog, um, could be, riding the bike could be going for a jog or a run. It, it varies. could be mm-hmm. doing some yoga. Um, but every single day I'm moving and I'm sweating. And that's like sort of a rule that I, a habit that I, I kind of hold true for myself. Okay. Always. Um, so even if you're going to go on a long walk, are you running at some point to try to work up a little bit of a sweat then, or you just call it good with a long walk? 
maybe once a week I'll allow myself to call it good with a long walk. Okay. That's like, if that's yep. like kind of my recovery day. Sure. I'll let it, I'll, the long walk counts. Okay. Um, but there's some sort of acti- I do some sort of activity or movement mm-hmm. every day. Okay. Pretty much no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um, do my best. You know, sleep is super important. I do my best to sleep eight, nine hours every single night mm. um, to the best of my ability. Luckily, I don't have any kids, so that's still yeah. uh, still doable for me. That could change its, yeah. <laughs> at some point. But What are the hours now, that, at least, when you try to go to sleep and when you get up? I am generally kind of winding down by like 9.30, and then I'm usually probably asleep by like 10, 10.30. Okay. And I yep. get up 6.30 to 7. Okay. Yep. Um, depending on the day. So exercise, sleep. Um, when I get up in the morning, oh, uh, I, I try and not keep my phone. Some of these are, some of these are a little bit less. I'm ge- I realize I'm getting away from like, you know, goals and more so just like daily habits. These are more just like daily habits. No, I'm, at, routines, I'm after but, the daily habits okay, and routines. That's okay. exactly what I'm after. Yeah, gotcha. So, so, uh, sleep, exercise, um, my phone, we're all addicted to our phones. I'm trying to become less addicted to it. And one of the ways I'm doing that is it's no longer, I no longer keep it in my bedroom. Mm. So I, I, no, so I don't want to be you know checking my phone before I fall asleep, and I also don't want it to be the first thing that I look at when I get up in the morning. So keep it in the other room, no screen time late at night, and no screen time first thing in, in the morning. And when it's in the other room, so do you have an alarm clock in your bedroom then? I do on my watch. So I wear my I wear my watch, and okay. that serves as my alarm. Do you wear it to sleep? Yeah, because I track because I track my sleep with the watch. Really? Yes. Okay. And you're not worried about that bleeding some cancer into your wrist eventually. Deal. I'll deal with that. I'll deal with that problem when uh, when it There's happens. Pills for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hopefully we've hopefully we've figured it out by yeah, then. Yeah. No, I'm sure it's all um, good. I just think of that with people that wear. First of all, I can't. I can't even wear a wedding ring. Like I can't have stuff on my wrists and fingers because it bothers me. I fidget with it. Mm-hmm. And um, but I've always wondered, like with people that wear the whoops and all those. Apple I'm hooked watches, on the the like, sleep tracking is great because it. You know how much you slept. You know whether or not it was like high quality. Okay. Um, and then when you really get into it, you can start to tinker and say, oh, if I don't use my phone, for example, for 30 minutes before bed, how does that impact the quality of my sleep? And you can actually see. Oh, so it's that detailed? Because, oh, yeah. So now you're speaking about something that I never fully understood, which was what do people do with the data? Oh, yeah. I mean, you, I, I, I will regularly change, you know, play with or tinker with my habits and then oh, look to see okay. how it impacts my you think it's that accurate? No, it's probably not that accurate, but it at least is consistent. It's like all fitness. Okay. Like, or like okay. with the whoop, right? It's, sure. it's not accurate, but it's consistent. Consistent? That's no, that's so all which you is need. which is the which is the important thing. So exactly. like um Yeah, and then if it's like consistently better, then it's then it is sure. it is better. Yep. Um even if the data itself is not totally totally mm-hmm. accurate. Um yeah, oh, so, hey, what do you, okay, the phone's in the other room, do you, what about like emergency calls? Do, do you ever worry about if, that? Do you just leave your ringer on? If, if someone does call you, will you hear it? I would be able to hear it, you I would? think, okay. and then also okay. my, because I'm wearing the watch, the watch would also, ah, okay. would, would alert me. Gotcha. Um, first thing in the morning, I do, uh, I do stretching or yoga. So I, I've been doing uh, Ramwad, now, yeah. so now it's called Pliability. Um, I'm a big fan. Ramwad is now called Pliability. They, they've rebranded. It's now called Pliability. Really? Um, I used to it, use Ramwad. It's great. I still use it every single day, and it's it's got. You should try it again because it's gotten a lot better recently. Okay. They've 
coming out with a bunch of new videos. Um, are you doing the stretch of the day, which sometimes is like 40 minutes or what do you do? I typically, I, I typically, if, if it's a 40 minute one, I will typically shorten it to 20 minutes. I don't, the, okay. the 40 ones can be tough for me if, just like timing wise, but on a, every day I'm doing 20 minutes of stretching mobility. Uh, how soon after you wake up? I will typically probably within 30 to 40 minutes. I, okay. I get up, take a quick shower, I make a cup of coffee, and then I settle in for some stretching. Okay. So it's it probably takes me 30 minutes to, to get to that. And you stretch every day or five days a week? Probably good for... I strive for every day. I'm okay. probably good for for six of the seven days a week. Okay. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty good. That's a lot. I, That's very good. And what I, if I miss one, what I will do is I will kind of make up for it the next day. I'll do a double session the next really? day. Really? And are you, why are you doing this so that you don't get injured at CrossFit or because of the way it makes you feel? Why both, are you both? It feels good. Um, I, li- I, I, I like for the, it's sort of a calm and peaceful way to start the day. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels really good. It helps me feel and move better in the gym. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. yeah, I, all of the above. Yep. Okay. All right. What else are you doing? So let's see. So, yeah. So daily exercise, I actually wrote these down, so I should. Yes. I should consult my notes here. I know. So I, I feel like we've talked about this before. You, you mentioned, I think that you liked the Tim Ferriss podcast and one Absolutely, of the, what yeah, I yeah. like about the Tim Ferriss podcast is how specific it is and I how know. you actually get to learn, hear I from agree. people. What are the strategies and tactics that you use to yes. like optimize your performance and manage your life? hundred percent. And just yeah. shout out for the Tim Ferriss podcast. That podcast is the longest listen. I have listened to that podcast longer than any other podcast. Yeah. Well, he's been around. He was like, he's been around forever doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And he's still good, man. He's still got great stuff. Yeah. Um, let's see here. I think those are the, honestly, I think those are the main ones. Like those are the ones that I'm trying to, that I'm trying to do every single day. Mm -hmm. Well, what else is on the list? Cause you're looking at a couple that you're not saying. Uh, eat, eat clean is on the list, but like, you know, no one is a hundred percent. I'm, I'm certainly not a hundred percent proficient at that. Yep. Um, the sort of best balance that I have found is I do my best to eat clean during the week. Okay. And then on the weekends, I let it, I let it slide a little bit and I, and I, you know, well, if we go out to dinner, I'll, I'll eat whatever I want on the weekend. Okay. Uh, but during the week I try and be more disciplined about it. Yep. So when you say let it slide a little bit on the weekend, like you're going to get dessert or you might have pizza or what are we talking about here? Could be either or both. Okay. Yeah. But not eating like a whole plate of brownies. No, no, I don't, I don't take it to extremes. Um, okay. But like if we go out, we, we might go out and have, you know, I might have a couple slices of pizza. Okay. I might order dessert at dinner. Um, yep. Those are definitely possible. But during, I might, I might have a cocktail, you know, if we're going out okay. and having a good time. Splurging, um, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, how how yeah. about during the week when you say eat clean, what are you eating? Cause can I just say it right now? Um, for those that are listening that wouldn't know, you are one ripped dude. Oh, no, man. you're going to make me turn red. No, you don't, <laughs> you can turn whatever color you want, but dude, you are lean. I mean, you must be, you must have good genetics for one. I have to imagine. I, say, I think I'm very, I think I'm lucky is a, is a, is a big I have to it. imagine you don't look that way just because of the way you eat. So you must have decent genetics, but also... I also have to imagine you wouldn't, you don't look that way just from genetics either. So for anyone who's interested in looking like a bad dude, listen to what this guy's eating because <laughs> it is working for you. I mean, yeah, you, you look great, dude. Well, 
Thank you. Really, I really good. I appreciate that. Um, um, I think it, I think it's the the CrossFit is the main thing. Okay. That 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 drives that, but it def, food is obviously a big part of it too. Mm-hmm. Um, I really just try and optimize for like clean, you know, clean ingredients, right? Okay. Protein, vegetables, you know, fruits, vegetables, not too much of it. Um, the kind of the basics and, and you're just looking for stuff that's like real food, clean, yeah. not a lot of preservatives. Yeah. What's the CrossFit saying? Stuff? It's like real food, not too much, mostly plants, I think is. The, okay. Okay. The I think, or maybe that's a Ben, I think that's a Ben Bergeron. Oh, who, who, I'm okay. a, who I'm a fan. He's the, uh, yeah. Comp train guy. He's got a great podcast too, that you might enjoy called chasing excellence that I really like. Well, you're talking about Bergeron strength, the older dude. That's a different person. Oh, okay. that's a different person. Um, okay. Ben Bergeron is the uh, CrossFit New England, and okay. he coaches a few like CrossFit Games athletes, um, and then he runs the Comp Train, um, like athlete okay. program. Okay. Um, but his his thing that he I think I think this is his quote. I might be misremembering, but he says, "Real food, mm-hmm. not too much, mm-hmm. mostly plants." Interesting. So, do you eat mostly plants? No. Okay. okay. <laughs> but but like I, I I try and maximize the number of plants that I'm eating. Okay. Right. Because okay. I eat plenty of, you know, meat and other things. But, okay. But basically, you can eat an you should eat an unlimited amount of of mostly plants. Yeah. If that kind of makes like as much as you can sort of realistically tolerate. Yep. Um, Do you have breakfast, lunch, and dinner? I sort of eat whenever I'm hungry, which okay. typically means that I skip breakfast because I'm typically not hungry for breakfast. So that that morning cup of coffee that I mentioned, that's usually all I'm having in the morning. Okay. And so if you go to the gym at 930, you've just had coffee. Coffee and that's it. Okay. Yeah. Yep. I, I like to work out on an empty stomach. Yep. I'm the same way. So I typically, there's no lunch or no breakfast for me. And then I, if, you know, if I'm back from the gym mid morning, I'll might make some sort of shake or something to eat. Okay. Um, so then I'll start eating. Do but, you have a protein shake after the gym? Yeah, uh, I'll usually make like a smoothie that has protein powder in it. Okay. So if that counts okay. as a protein shake, then yes. So you have a smoothie, and then what are you having later on for lunch? Um, lunch is often whatever we made the night before, okay. just as like leftovers. Mm-hmm. Um, it's often a we, but we make a lot of the same things often, right? Like that's part of the, what makes this, I think what makes it feasible to actually eat clean during the week is like find a bunch of recipes that you really like yes. and just make them all the time. Exactly. Like, and I have no trouble eating the same thing every day, dude. If I I'm the eat, same way, I, yeah, I have I'm no the trouble way. with that. I'm the same Actually, way. My wife, like my it. wife likes variety a little bit more. So, and for that reason, we, we do, we, we switch it up, but within the same sort of spear or spectrum of things, right? Okay. Like, um, there's, so there's some variety, but not a ton. Okay. Um, because it just makes it so much easier. Yeah, it does. What are you having for dinner then? Uh, we will often make like a big salad with a protein on it, like some chicken or some steak on it. And the, and the salad might change. Um, we will often do bowls. So like a rice bowl with salmon or steak or chicken and then some sort of like, you know, uh, stir fry or grilled or sauteed vegetable or roasted vegetable with it. Okay. Um, so we'll, we'll make like Japanese bowls or Greek bowls or Mexican bowls or something like that. That's basically a rice bowl with a protein and some vegetables on it. Um, We do some version of that all the time. Okay. Um, What else? Um, We haven't even gone down this rabbit hole yet, but I'm a big fan of like technology and tools and toy and gadgets and like 
new things to try out around the house. One of mm. which that I've gotten into recently is a sous vide machine. Oh yeah, I don't yeah, know if yeah. you're familiar. I, Absolutely, I, we have one. I love yeah. my sous vide. So oh, I, I make, make steaks. Food. I make steaks in it all the time. Oh yeah, um, yeah. So my sous the sous vide approach is, you know, it goes in the sous vide for an hour. And then I finish it on the grill. I'll sear oh, it. I'll sear it on the yes. grill. Oh, so to give goodness. it that nice Dude, you know crispy. What? I need to try that. Yeah, because what I started to do with steaks is smoke them for an hour to an hour and a half, and then sear them on the and finish them. Okay, and it, it probably does somewhat the same thing yeah. as putting in the sous vide for yeah. an hour. And yeah, man, it flavors. Well, because yeah, the sous vide gets it to just the right temperature, yes. and then that grill kind of makes it to the like the the outside texture that you yep. want, that you yep. want. I saw yeah. somebody just do it in a dishwasher. It acts the same way as a sous vide. You mean they put a steak in a bag in the dishwasher, put it in the dishwasher, and then turn the dishwasher yeah. on? Works. I have actually heard of this. I yeah. have heard. You're not crazy. I've heard of that before. I haven't wow. tried this. I haven't tried it myself, but I have heard you can cook in the dishwasher. That seems crazy. Yeah. But yeah. so yeah, the okay. sous vide. The sous vide's been. I don't use it. I mean, I, I maybe use it a couple times a month, but not okay. so not a ton. But uh, I I'm, I love how easy. It sort of makes it. Oh yeah. Um, to be super precise. Yeah. Um, what well, else? What are some of our other like weeknight? So well, I'll make like just like a grilled salmon and asparagus. Okay. Pretty regularly. Okay. Um, a lot, a lot of you'll notice the trend in our household is a lot of grilling. Where we do we we use our do grill really? pretty regularly. Oh yeah. Well, you can make things like regular food like salmon, even asparagus. It's just so good on the grill. Yeah. It's so doggone yep. good. Yep. What and, it's so, and it's so easy, you know, yeah, it's just exactly. like, yes, it's like minimal cleanup. You, you, it heats up quick. It yep. just kind of give a gas grill. Yeah. What time are you eating dinner? We aim for about 7 p.m. Typically. Okay. Um, okay. Sometimes we wind up eating later than that. Okay. Between but, seven and eight. Most I try. Time. My goal is usually because if you if your goal is to be asleep by 9, 30, 10, you don't want to be eating much later than you know, seven thirty or so. Ideal, ideally. Okay, so you're um, trying to get what two hours yeah, in between I, dinner and sleep? Ideally. Okay. Though, and honestly, the more the better. I'm some like if I'm super full, I have a hard time sleeping. So oh, I try and and because of my eating schedule, I'm I'm eating nothing for breakfast. My lunch is usually kind of on the smaller side. You know, I'll have this. I'll have that protein shake, and then maybe I'll have whatever's left over from the night before. And then dinner is when I'm usually kind of. Going a little bit harder, yeah. Um, yep. Eating a lot more. What about and snacks? Are you not snacking throughout the day? I, I try not to, but to like a snack, I might have like a yogurt mm. or something, or maybe a protein bar if I'm if I'm hungry. Okay. Uh, but I try and avoid the just like yeah, the unhealthy. We we I tr- basically try and keep that stuff out of the house because as soon as it's in the house, it's like kind of it's kind of over. Like dude. you got to set yourself up for success. Hundred percent. You bring it into the house. If you yes. bring me some good cookies into the house, I'm going to eat them, you know? Yeah. So, like, I just got to keep them out of the house. Yes. So, um, do you... Right, and then you don't even have to worry about the temptation exactly. side of it. Yes. Do you eat anything after dinner? Do you snack at all then before bed or no? Sometimes, if I'm still if I'm still hungry, sometimes I might have, like, an apple and okay. almond butter or something. Okay. Um, so, so you, sometimes. You'll, you'll put almond butter on an apple? Yeah. I'll bet that's good. It is good. Do that's you eat peanut combo. butter? T- I typically prefer almond butter, but I'll... I'll Okay. Who's going to say no? I'm not going to say no to sure. butter. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. So that's your, that's mostly what you eat in a day then. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And it's like, again, it's, I pretty much, uh, I don't really follow like a schedule. I kind of just eat when I'm hungry. Okay. And I sort of just yep. try and listen to my body Yep. and then respond to that. Yep. Um, and so that, and that also means like if I'm eating dinner, 
as soon as I'm not hungry or as soon as I'm full, I stop eating, you know, like mm. I try really try and listen to what mm. your body okay. is telling you. There's no bull. And I, I love, I love salads, but I, um, green beans, sometimes lettuce, green, uh, greens. Yeah. Make my stomach hurt. Yeah. I hate it. I, yeah. I love salad. I would eat my face off it. Something, um, that I, well, I've heard that some of the plants sometimes release like a, it's certainly self defense. They can release like a little, um, like self defense sort of chemical or whatever, yeah, acid and, or something, yeah, 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 something like that. Yeah. So I don't know if that's what's getting me, but um, dude, I would just live on meat and greens. Interesting. Yeah. Sure, but some of the greens don't make my stomach make my stomach hurt a little bit. Yeah. I wonder I if there are certain types of greens that. Yeah, for sure. Worse than others. Yeah, like asparagus is pretty much fine. Um, Green beans for sure tend to make me feel a little weird. Some lettuce, kale sometimes. Um, I don't eat quinoa at all. I mean, I I like the way it tastes. It just makes makes me feel weird. Yeah, I got I got one more habit and routine for you, and this yeah. is one that I'm very much not doing right now, but it's one that I sort of plan to add into the mix on a more regular basis. Is connect with with people in my life on a daily basis, right? So. Um, finding more opportunities to just like text an old friend or call an old friend who I've like lost touch with. Um, I want to like, I really want to push myself to do that more yeah. frequently and more regularly. Try and to so, do that every day, like reach out to some version of that. I mean, even if it's just a quick text to somebody you haven't yeah. talked to in a minute. Yeah. Some version of that every single day just to like reconnect with, yes. with more people. I love um, that. I'm someone who, I don't know. I just, especially with the pandemic, I feel like I've just kind of lost touch with a lot of people in my life mm -hmm. who, who had previously had brought like so much joy and value to it. And I want to reconnect with them. And so, yeah, I, I really want to bring back a better practice of like, you know, just staying in touch with people. Yeah. I love that so much. I, I, for me, it goes in spurts. Like D I will totally. just not it's, reach yeah, out totally. for a long time. And then some evening I'll just text like, six people right yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes i have the same problem and so what i'm sort of hoping to do is make it just a more of a daily practice where it's yeah. just uh you know there's a steady cadence to it yep um i think that could even mean in in person connecting too you know you go grab coffee or a drink or something with somebody mm -hmm. um yeah i so i so that's that's sort of my Looking ahead to 2023, that's the yeah. one that I'm going to add into the mix. I love that. One of the things that I've noticed about myself over time is that I am very jealous for my time, which is good. It's it's probably, you know, it's it's a good, you know, quote unquote problem to have, but you can I can take it too far. You know, the good side yeah. is that I tend to be very productive. Yeah. The bad side is that it's hard for me to just like go get coffee for no reason. Right, right. Someone needs help or I need help. Oh, yeah, now we can justify it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But just to go hang over coffee, you know, it's harder for me to, to do that, so. I I mean, I totally, I'm so, I'm the same way. Like, I, I'm a very type A person and, like, I don't love, like, small talk and just, like, chit-chat, yeah, you know? I like, know, I want to actually I mean. talk about, like, real things and, yeah. re, you know, like, like the conversation we're having here today, you know? So, um, I hear you, but I, I think if, if you, if you sort of define the goal as like, oh, I'm doing this because I'm connecting with people, it makes it yeah. a little bit, yeah, a little bit easier yeah, to, to do. Total sense. Um, speaking of other like wellness oriented technology, um, 
And going back to the sleep point, um, have you ever heard of something called the chili pad? I don't think I have. So I, this is this is probably the piece of technology that has, or I shouldn't even say piece of technology. The thing that has improved my sleep the most has been the chili pad. Um, Evan Evan at the gym was the one who originally told me about it. He also is a big fan and has hmm. one. It is a uh, pad that goes on top of your mattress, but under underneath your sheets, and it is temperature controlled to the degree from your smartphone powered by a like a box that goes under your bed um there's two there's tubes i think it's it's water so the 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 box goes under your bed it's circulating water through the pad and then it's temperature controlling the water okay which then almost think of it kind of like a sous vide sure. you're then lying on top of the pad and the sure. water is temperature controlling you yeah um and you can set that thing to whatever temperature makes you sleep your best uh. i have found that the colder I am, the better I sleep. So I crank that thing all the way down. Really? Yes. Well, how cold does it go? Uh, 55. Whoa. So it says the number 55 on there. I don't actually feel like I'm 55 degrees okay. at that point. But um, how wide it, is the pad? You can get, I mean, you can get it to where it covers the entire bed if you want. I have the one that's the half version. So it okay. only covers half so the bed. Because my, my wife... She doesn't have she she likes to sleep a little bit warmer than I do. So, yeah, fifty five um, degrees for Mariana would. I don't think she. Yeah, well, sleep. you can get there's you can customize it like with a, you know with a partner where one side you have two you get two different units. Oh yeah, and one side can be one temperature, the other side can be the other. Okay. Um, we have I just have the half of the the half the bed version, okay. but you okay. can get a, you can get a whole bed version too. And man, I'm telling you, it has been a game changer. Um, just being able to sleep. Actually, at a, like a cold, I was someone who always woke up like with the sweats. That was an, always a problem for me, and this kicked that. All right, and okay, it's Let been huge. Pause you for a second. When would you wake up with the sweats? Because I've been waking up with some night sweats, like all throughout the night, always. And it's still a problem if I travel and I don't have this thing. It's like still, a pro- I still struggle with that. Oh, thank God, so. dude! I was pretty sure I had cancer because <laughs> if you Google. Night sweats, I don't see it. Most of it's just cancer. I think it's a pretty Did common. Did you ever Google it? No, fortunately. So I, I haven't gone down that gone down that hole. I mean, but. I spent some time, two, three weeks ago, I was pretty sure I had Hodgkin's disease. And so I scheduled a blood test, and that's and it's like happening next week. And that's my primary question is, can we make sure I don't have Hodgkin's disease because I have a lot of the symptoms? Yeah. <laughs> and one of them is the night sweats. And... I got them in like 2020 for some weird reason, and then they kind of went away. And now in the last month or two, I've been having them more. Interesting. And I wonder, well, that's sort of aligned. So if it's last month or two, that's like just, you know, November, December, January, like kind of the winter months. I wonder if it's some way, maybe the way your temperature is controlled in that. Like is is the heat, you have the heat on overnight? We sleep at the room pretty cool. Okay. Um, So I don't think it's that. But yeah, it's weird, man. If you Google the night sweats, like there's yeah. not a lot of great reasons, at least on Google, that you should be having the night sweats. Well, man, I'm t- of anything I have, of any like product that I have purchased over the past five years, this is probably the one that has led to the most like just improvement in my day to day life has been this. Oh wow, has been the chili pad. How much are they? I want to say it was seven hundred and fifty, eight hundred bucks okay. for the half for the half version. Okay. Um, 
something like that. Yeah. Okay. So the technology fan- is good. Huh? Fantastic. Yeah. Okay. Highly recommended. Yeah. Um, has been a game changer for my sleep and just like how I, f- you know, feel during mm-hmm. the day as, mm-hmm. as a result. So thanks for mentioning that. Yeah. That's been a, that's Solid, been a, that's dude. been a big one. Check you can ask out. Evan all about that one too. I'm sure he'll, uh, yeah. Has he been you, using you it for the some sales time? He has. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Good sleep is so important for physical activity, 100%. your mind, just dude, everything, your ability to like everything. show up for your family, your yeah. ability to like be yeah. an, a good communicator. Yes. Your ability to like deal with challenge and adversity. Like mm-hmm. if something happens and you're, you're in a car accident or whatever, and it's like easier to just like kind of take it in stride and deal with it. If you yes. are like well rested and yes, well functioning. So hundred percent agree. I feel like sleep, it, it, I think it's getting a lot more attention now, but I think it's been so overlooked for so long. Yeah. Um, and I think we're just at the cusp of like really starting to like figure out, yeah. you know, how, 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 do you, how to sleep more effectively and how to optimize our, our sleep. So I yep. think there's going to be a lot more kind of in that space. I agree with the, that. I was listening to Andrew Humerman oh, talk yeah. about sleep yep. a little bit. And one of the things he was saying was your growth hormone peaks before midnight. So it's like you can get nine hours of sleep, but sleeping from midnight to nine is not as good as sleeping from nine to six. Um, so like when you get to sleep also yeah. matters. Now at the end of the day, you know, sleeping from midnight to nine is probably going to be just fine. But in terms of like habits, daily habits, getting more of your sleep before midnight is good. That's and that's interesting. That's funny. Well, I also was listening to his podcast recently and he said something else I can mention in a minute, but that's interesting. Cause when I look at my sleep tracking, my deep sleep is typically in those earlier hours. Yeah. But I think that's common. I think that it's like the first few hours when I yeah. go to sleep is when I'm getting my most productive sleep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, the thing you're gonna so make? yeah. So I also heard on his podcast, which totally surprised me. Um, but it's now that I think about it, it makes sense intuitively spending 10, 15 minutes out in the sun in the morning yes, has an enormous impact on your sleep the following night. Yes. So like you get, you know, for that, and it's, he, he, I think he actually said it's the most important thing. That's crazy. The most important factor that determines how you sleep at night is whether or not first thing in the morning you get like 10 minutes of sunlight. Hmm. Um, I don't know. I mean, it. it it's My understanding is it it sets your clock. It starts to like this has to do with mm. like the circadian rhythm, right? Okay. It like sets the timer on. It, you get first thing in the morning, you get the sun in your eyes for ten or fifteen minutes, and it sets the timer, and so you're going to be better prepared to go to sleep that night. I don't remember him saying it being the most important thing, but it is something that um, that one of the things that I do based on that because this is not as good as sunlight, but it's better than nothing is getting bright lights Mm. on. Mm. So as soon as I wake up, I go to the bathroom. I turn the bathroom light on. I turn the light of the mirror over the sink on. I turn the shower light on. I turn the light on over the toilet. Like that (laughs) entire bathroom is lit up Yeah, and, um, and stays lit up, you know, while I shower and everything until I'm out. So I try to do like getting, those bright lights immediately, but I don't go out and sit outside in the sun. I did do that a couple years ago for a little stretch, but, um, 
I have a hard time just sitting there for 10 minutes. You know, I want to get the day started. My wife's great at it. She, and she uses it as her meditation time in the morning. She'll go out and sit outside just 10 minutes in the sun, even in the winter, which is like crazy. She'll like put on a jacket. Really? Just go sit outside in the sun and just first like med- thing? Medit- not necessarily first, but kind of when I'm like in that stretch, like within the first 30 minutes, maybe really? 30 or 40 minutes. Yeah. Okay. Um, she's very, very disciplined about that. Um, I aspire to be. Yeah. So. Is, is she doing that for reasons of sleep? Or she just, it just naturally something she gravitated to. It was the latter. It just, I think she just feels like it feels good. The sleep thing was news to her. I told her about it last week or whenever I heard it. And she was just like, oh. Wow, that's good thing I've been good thing I've been doing this for exactly. so long. Exactly. You know? But the other thing that Andrew Human was talking about that I started to take care to do is not drink my coffee so early. Ah, uh, yeah, I'm. I've heard him say that, and I'm not good at that one. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> I've I grow I've grown into it because it sounds like you have a really nice morning habit with getting up, coffee, and then stretching. So it's like, man, you might not want to tamper with that, you know. But the science behind it, which makes sense to me, is you have when you sleep you have this buildup of whatever it is. It's like GABA or something like this. It's like the buildup of sleepiness. And what happens is when you go out in the sunlight, it spikes your cortisol. Yeah. And the cortisol has this other stuff, like it runs that other stuff out of your system, the GABA or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And what happens is if you drink coffee, when that stuff is still in there, it mutes it, but it doesn't go out of your system. And then when the caffeine wears off mid-afternoon, that stuff like resurfaces. And so then you can have another cup of coffee and it mutes it. But if you let 60 to 90 minutes go by after you wake up and then drink the coffee, that stuff has worked itself out of the system. Now your system's clear. Now you drink the coffee. And so when the caffeine wears off, the stuff doesn't like resurface again. So that was like the science behind it. And um, so I have been, I think probably most mornings I'm awake for probably an hour before I drink coffee. I make it, I make it into the office. (laughs) <laughs> and then sometimes a little more, but, um, but, and that, and that's, a, it sounds like that's an intentional choice. Like you're trying to reach that 60 to 90 minute yes. threshold. Oh yeah. Cause yeah. when I wake up, dude, I would have that coffee. Oh, I mean, that, that's my problem. I want it immediately. Yeah. So yeah. 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 No doubt. I may, I, you know, I'm gonna have to give that a shot and see how it feels. Um, yeah. But it's, but with your stretching routine, see, I got to get back into that. Cause I was stretching Ramwad, um, every day also a couple years ago and man, it felt really good. I am, I'm sure that there's a direct connection between injuries in the gym and, and stretching. I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like, I also, you know, and just in terms of morning routines, I'm some, I'm not someone who likes to just like get up and like rush through my morning. You know, I like okay. to be kind of like, I'm, I'll, I'll get up earlier if it means I get to have my morning routine. Oh right? yeah. Like if I have a, if I have something, I have to be at an 8am. Yep. I'm just going to get up a little earlier, okay. but I can kind of have my slow morning where I stretch okay. and I still can ha- drink my coffee and maybe read the news a little bit and just uh-huh. have a moment to myself before I'm like thrown into the thick of the day. I'm not someone who can just like get up and out of bed and then I'm right at it right away. I need okay. like a minute to just kind of What do you like an hour, going. hour and a half? What do you like there? Probably an hour to an hour and a half if okay. I can, if I, if I can have, if I can control it. Okay. So have you guys taught kids yet? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the hour to an hour and a half. <laughs> yeah, into did I just out myself as someone who does not have any kids? Solid I think so. three and yeah. a half minutes, bro. Yeah. Right um, you know, all that. I'm sure all that'll change yeah. uh, if and when we decide to to have some kids. But for now, it's working great. Oh so. yeah. No, that's, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll enjoy it while I can. Yeah, I, I think um, 
I envy that. I envy that little bit. No, it's not not kid related. I mean, I could do whatever I want. I mean, I could get up earlier, but um, I just feel this need to start the day. I don't exactly know why. When I wake up, I just feel like I need to get into the office. I'd rather get in there earlier than leave earlier, but I think that's just a personal preference. Yeah. Hmm. Um. All right, man. Anything else you want to cover while you're here? Let's see. On any of the any of the fronts, we we hit a lot of really great. I mean, I feel like we hit a lot of great stuff. We really got into the politics. We talked a lot about uh, habits and routines. We talked about some health and wellness tech. Um. Oh, we we've mentioned a few podcasts. Yeah. That we that we liked. I'm I, I'm I listen to a lot of podcasts. Oh yeah, I do. It's probably a bad. It's probably, I probably listen to too many. Um, but I have. How many I, I, do you listen to? I probably am subscribed to I don't know twenty to twenty five, but I don't listen to them. I, I subscribe to them all. Wow. I consider listening to every episode, but then if like the topic doesn't interest me or the guest doesn't interest me, I will skip past it. So like the Huberman podcast is a great example. I don't yeah. often have the patience to, to listen to a three hour right. Podcast, but if it's a topic that really interests me yes. or a guest that really interests me, I'll give it, you know, I'll give it 10 minutes. And if it hooks me, yep. then I'll go for it. Yep. Um, yep. So I probably, probably 20 to 25 at any given time. Um, I'm a big, I mentioned the Chasing Excellence podcast, which I think you would really like. That's okay. ben, ben Bergeron. That's a lot of health, wellness, fitness. Um, and it's, ve- it's also very specific. In the sort of Tim okay. Ferriss esque, it's it's very tactical. Yep. Here are the supplements that you should consider taking if you're, uh, you know, someone who does CrossFit type workouts. And here oh, okay. are some sleep habits and routines you should consider adopting. It's like very practical. Oh, cool. It's very okay. practical. Um, so I enjoy that one. Um, there, are, I, you're going to notice a trend here. The podcasts that I tend to like most are the ones that are like super are kind of specific in that way. Um, so another one is called Odd Lots. Uh, it's from Bloomberg. Hmm. Um, it's two journalists from Bloomberg, and they every week they will go super deep on like a kind of esoteric or niche industry. I think the last episode I listened to was all about the trucking industry. They actually interviewed a oh, trucker. They brought a trucker on the podcast uh. to just talk about like all the challenges and opportunities that are true in the and all of it's just a total surprise to me as someone who has no idea uh-huh. what's happening you know what it's like to be a trucker or what's happening in the trucking space and so it's just really interesting to hear somebody else's are perspective. they journalists or who's they are they're the two bloomberg people are journalists oh cool uh, okay. but every you know one week it'll be trucking the next week it'll be like shipping and supply chain the next week it'll be crypto okay um there's usually like a finance angle to it but okay. it gets very it gets very into the weeds of like the supply chain and how things how our economy like actually works okay fascinating um odd lots odd lots it's great and it like goes super every episode it like goes deep and you really learn about yeah, the topic like that. that they're that they're yep. talking about which i you know feel like a lot of other shows i tend to not like them because they're just like they try and be too broad yeah very general or too or yeah too generic yes, that's um, dude that's the one thing I've, I've been thinking about that for this podcast too is is like i, I want it to be conversational but you need to like you need to get into the specifics yeah, too. Yes. You can't just buzz over the top. It's just uh, you can get that anywhere or it's like that eh, that's not helpful. Yeah, well it's it's those follow-up questions that are key. It's like, okay, sleep is important. Okay, now how are you actually achieving that? Sure. What are like the yeah. tools and strategies that you're using to yeah. like to actually prioritize and yep. optimize for that? Um, another one that I love is called 99% Invisible. 
this is it's all about as the title would suggest things that exist in our everyday world that you wouldn't necessarily see or think about, but that have huge implications on how our kind of world operates. Ooh, that's a fascinating So for example, one, um, one episode that stands out was all about curb cuts. You know, those little, the cuts in the curb that go down, that go down to the pavement so that people in wheelchairs can actually wheel up, can get up onto the curb. It told the whole history of like how those came to be who proposed them, how they became popular and widespread. It's just like huh. some, something that you never would really think yeah. too much about the history of, but it, there's a ton of, of and uh, in some cases fraught, like those, there were, there used to be no Kirk Putts anywhere and people who were living their lives in a wheelchair had a, a lot of trouble yeah. getting up and down off, you know, and getting through our public spaces. And so just yep. a really interesting uh, perspective Another another episode of that podcast that was fantastic was talked about the history of San Francisco and how uh, during the gold rush in the 1800s, um, ships rushed into the San Francisco harbor, parked, people got off, and went, you know, looking for gold. But then all these ships got left behind later, and, and, and then more ships kept coming, more ships kept coming. Long story short, there was this huge, there was this huge fire, and a lot of the ships sunk to the bottom of the San Francisco Bay and they eventually filled it in. And so what's happening now is when they're building skyscrapers and they were building, I think the Salesforce tower a few years ago in San Francisco and they were digging and they like unearthed some like pieces of of an old ship from the 1800s. And it's just like, why is there a ship under land in, in, in San Francisco? It's because they filled it all in after all these, Interesting. Ships sunk to the bottom of the same harbor. And that's harbor. the 99% invisible it's one also. correct. Okay. Yeah, so it's just, okay. it's like, it's stories about hidden things in our everyday world that you might not necessarily mm-hmm. see. Um, just super interesting. Uh, the other one that I love is called Switched on Pop. More music oriented. They, they uh, I'm not a big, f- I don't listen to a ton of like new and popular music, mm-hmm. but what they will do is they will look at like new and popular music um, and trace its roots. Okay. Like what are the, what are the songs from the 60s, 70s, 80s that like where, where you can hear elements of that music in this new song and like how do you sort of trace it back through through time and through history? Yep. Um, what are like the, the sort of musical like techniques that, you, that are still present in today's music in 2023 that you could go back to a song from the 70s and, 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 and they'll like play them side by side. And like show it okay. to you and show it okay. to you, yep. which is really cool. That is cool. How, how do you listen to all these podcasts? I mean, we only <laughs> covered four of them. Um, you have 20 or 25? I skip a lot. I skip a lot of them, inevitably. Okay. Is how it, is how it works out. When do you out. listen to podcasts? Chores, around the house, walking the dog. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes exercise. Not at okay. the gym, not at the gym, obviously, but if I'm yep. just going to like ride my bike, ride the bike at home or something, or maybe I'm like okay. go for a jog, yep. I can, I, if it's like a little bit lower intensity, I'll listen to, I'll listen to a podcast, but, uh, okay. I don't know. I think it's just in a lot of those like in between times I work from home. So it's a lot of, it's just like, I'm going into the kitchen to make lunch Yeah, and I'll, I'll pop in a podcast okay. and listen to, listen okay. to a quick episode. Yep. But you don't listen to podcasts when you're working? No, because I, no, I do not because yeah. I find it very hard to both listen and oh, yeah, do I something else. I can't. So I no. cannot concentrate on two things yeah. at once. It's impossible. For but me. I am a big fan of, um, we, we have music in our house playing pretty much all the time. And we, yeah. Uh, and we'll, we'll have like, you know, some background. I'll, I like to listen to like music while I'm working. Okay. Um, so I'll have some music. Playing yes. Typically. Same. 
What do you like to listen to? I'm all over the place. Um, some indie rock. Looking for some new um, ideas. My the, who would the, you suggest? The band rock? that I, I with my music listening habits, I tend I like go really deep on like one group in particular for like a few months at a time. Yeah, that's what you I you know. Like I listen to the same thing for like a few months, and yeah. then I just pivot to something else. Yeah. Uh, right now, it's a group called Krungbin, spelled K H R U. A-N-G-B-I-N, I think is how it's spelled. Okay. And they're this like, they're from Texas. They're a trio. There's three of them. They're this kind of like down tempo, like indie rock group. Okay. And it's it super, it's super unique. I don't know. I don't even know what I would compare it to. Okay. Um, but it's, it's. I'll check them out. It's great. Um, yeah, I'm often looking for like new music ideas. I have a note on my phone. Where I just like if I hear of some, something that you like, something, I'll, yeah. I'll jot it down. Or yeah. someone mentions something, I'll jot it down. They're fantastic. It. I'm a big fan. Do you know who Leon Bridges is? Oh heck yeah! yeah. So well, so I wasn't. I, I, I love, I love that Leon. Dude stuff, I also man. love Leon Bridges. They've done a bunch of songs. He's done a bunch of songs with Krungman. That's actually no how. Way. That's how I just. That's how I found out about them. Oh yeah, they've done a bunch of songs together. Now I've gone, you know, oh, super sweet. deep. Okay, I'll check it out. So Leon Bridges is ridiculously smooth, man. Yes. And what's cool is um, you, you just follow him on Instagram and he's just like, it's a, it's a, a holistic vibe. Yeah. You know, like yeah. just who his music is just who he is as a person. Yeah. It's, it's what it seems like on at least just following him on Instagram anyway. Yeah. He, he's, uh, I love his stuff. He's extremely talented. Yeah. All right. Um, any other podcasts you want to mention right away? I think I hit the ones that I thought. You might be most interested okay, in. Okay, cool. I jotted them down. Um, oh, I've got one more. Yep. If books could kill. Okay. This one's relatively new. Um, it, each episode is about a book that became very popular, but that potentially has some ideas in it that might be problematic. Hmm. Um, when I was in high school, I uh, this was around the time of the, the, the Freakonomics book and I took, I think I took AP economics in high school and the, the teacher prescribed Freakonomics as like one of the you know required reading and I fell in love with it that was actually what prompted me to major in economics when I went to college oh, wow. yeah was that I would I would probably cite that book as high up it was what, what got me interested in the topic wow. to begin with but um, it was super interesting to later find out that uh, there's just potentially some like kind of cherry-picked statistics and and methodology oh in the in the book um that seems like if that's the premise of that podcast that seems like you could probably dismantle everything and anything yeah you know what i mean right right right. yeah but i guess at some point you know you just gotta know what you you know call it good enough yeah but um that's fascinating so it is that what it does with all of its episodes each each episode is a book is yeah it's a book that became popular and it's like here is something you might want to think a little bit more about Sure. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, and they've done books as recent as like, I think Freakonomics was, you know, mid 2000s. Um, but then some of the books they've talked about have been from like the 70s and 80s too. So okay. it's been yeah. a, uh, a yep. range of stuff, yep. but super interesting. Um, Aside from podcasts, do you have any other notes over there you want to share right away? <laughs> I love that you had some notes, um, man. I don't want to miss anything good over there. All this stuff's so great. Oh, yes, I do. So I was in preparing to come in here for this today. I listened to a few of your back episodes and I was oh, listening yeah. to... I think it was the episode you did with the Proven guys, which was super yeah. interesting. It was great. Yeah, Dwight Upshaw and Nick Johnson. Yeah, they. Yeah. I, I've never, I've never 
I didn't know about them. I didn't really, I, you know, I know of proven, but I didn't know about those guys. And that was a great conversation. Yeah. Um, I can't remember if it was you or them, or I can't even remember if this was the place where I heard this, but you, it's, I heard something that has stuck with me. So I, you know, we're both people who enjoy CrossFit high, you know, high intensity fitness. Yep. Um, and you said, I heard something on that episode that made me realize why I like it so much, mm. which is that you're, both competing against yourself and against your friends yes. at the same time. Yes, 100%. And I don't think I had I had never conceptualized it that way in my head. Yeah. And when I heard that I was like, ah. Uh-huh. That is that now that now it makes it like yes. Yes. You're 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 chasing your own goals, but you're also having fun and kicking it with your friends yep. and and trying to beat them too. Yep. And to be able to do those two things at the same time um it's really it's really unique to yep. to to CrossFit, and I and it made me realize I think that's actually the thing that I really enjoy about it. Yes, because there's a lot baked into that. Like to compete with others, you have to know where their skill set is. Um, you have to kind of know them a little bit, you know. Yep. And like, and so there's a community element baked in there that's just assumed if you're com- competing with others. But the competing against yourself thing, I think, is really like if I was. I have given other like newcomers to the gym, you know, if they ask or whatever, my advice for CrossFit is show up and use what you got. Yeah. Cause it, it varies. I mean, some days you're like, Whoa, that was did pretty good. And other days you just, there's nothing there. Right. So just show up, use what you got. Like, don't try to make it, don't try to force anything. That's when injuries happen. But I think for the people who are naturally just competitive Cause I'm definitely that, that way. It's like, I try to like know when I cannot compete with other people because I'm going to hurt myself. Right. You know, right, so you right. just need to know like, and on those days just compete against yourself, you know? But yeah, I totally agree. Those two things competing with others and yourself. Yeah. And I just, I had never thought about it that way and it made sense. Like, ah, this is why I, cause it's like, you can constantly strive for better, right? Like yeah. cro- CrossFit is something that's like kind easy to learn, hard to master in some ways, yeah. right? Like you can yes. get into it kind of easily. There's a very low bar, low barrier to entry. Um, but then you're never done. You're, yep. you're constantly working on it and trying to improve and be better. And I think that's kind of what hooked me into it. And and I yeah. think that's what means I've been going to be doing this for doing it for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Hopefully I, knock on wood. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Dude. I, I recently tried um, jujitsu for the first time ever and I quit this past week because I can't, I, I knew going in that if it messes with CrossFit, I'm going to, I'm going to have to stop. And I have enough of injuries already with just CrossFit, something about CrossFit and jujitsu, like the risk of injury is greater at CrossFit, at least in the very short time I experienced jujitsu risk of injury for me was greater at CrossFit than jujitsu, but there was still a risk yeah. of injury at jujitsu and in the two to three months that I did jujitsu, I was only able to go about half of the time. I mean, I, I just, so also time was an issue because if you're going to do it, you may as well do it right. And right. I'm not going to like sacrifice going to the gym. I just, I want to go five days a week, but I can't make it in on Tuesdays right now. So I go four days a week. So, you know, it takes an hour and a half by the time you get there, work out for an hour, shower, and get mm-hmm. back home. I mean, that's an hour and a half of your day. Yeah. And then to do another hour and a half thing in your day, that's three hours, three and a quarter hours of your day. It's like it, it was too much. But um, 
I quit because of injury and I just don't want to have anything tamper with CrossFit. I like the people. I like the, I kind of look forward to it in a sick way. It's never a burden to go to the gym. Um, and I just don't want to mess with, I don't want to mess with that. So, I, I mean, I've made some of my, some of my closest friends I've made through the gym and through the community there. Yeah. Um, yep. that's been, it's been great. That's, I think that's part of what has hooked me into it too. You know? Yeah, um, exactly. You know, just around really good driven people, mm-hmm. um, trying to be a little bit better every day. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something pretty powerful about that for sure. All right, Lee. Well, thanks for coming on the podcast, man. I appreciate your time. This and has been a ton of fun. For, yeah. And thanks Thank you for, for having me. Yeah. This has been a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. And also thanks for trusting me because, you know, I mentioned this when I reached out to you, but I really was looking for your perspective from the left and I wasn't trying to, you know, make it hard for you or come up with hard questions or gotchas or any of that. Um, and I assume, you know, that took a little bit of trust on your end. So totally. And like, I think that, that, yeah, absolutely. And like, I think part of the way we get out of this mess that we're in is just by having more open and honest conversations yeah. where we actually do listen to each other and, and, and talk to each other and, and hear each other out and, and, and try to come to some sort of mutual understanding, even if we can't agree on everything, you know, it's like, and like, I think these kinds of conversations are just too few and far between. Well, I think it speaks to the importance of having diversity in your life because, well, I wouldn't have had you on here if we weren't at the same gym because I wouldn't have known you, but also, I mean, I told you this in the text is I perceive you as smart, driven, um, clear minded, a good communicator uh, so, um, even wise, like in a sense. So if you're, if you're like have aligned yourself with the democratic party, I want to know more about that. Yeah. You know what I mean? I can't write you off as like, well, that's just a far, far left kind of crazy person. Like I can't, I can't do that because I know you. So that's the importance of having diversity in your life. Totally. So yeah, wherever it makes sense to get that, you know? Churches should have a lot more of that, I think. But gyms, whatever makes you know, have have friends from different walks of life and different experiences. It's super important. Yeah, it is. It is actually really important. And I think that that is too many people just live in a bubble with for sure. But I also think that in a city you have the at least the opportunity for that. Whereas if you live way out in the country, there's less opportunity for that. Totally. So. All right, Lee. Thanks again, man. Thanks, Ken. Appreciate it, everybody.